Support for this podcast is also brought to you by Feed and Seed Depot in Crestwood, Kentucky. The Feed and Seed Depot is your one-stop garden shop. You'll find lawn and garden seed, livestock and pet feeds, local honey and treats galore. Whether you're looking for local fresh produce and local farm fresh eggs from Maple Morning Farm or homemade jams and jellies, you'll find region specialties and seasonal goodies at the depot. We are located at 6315 West Highway 146 in Crestwood, Kentucky. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Uh, This week, my guest is actually more than one person. I had the privilege of having my good friend Joey Almeida on. Uh, If you know Joey from before, you know that he's the owner of Joey's Custard down in Sanibel Island. Uh, We became good friends after meeting a few years back and uh, just swapping stories and being able to, you know, just talk about life experiences and he's grown to be a really close friend and a brother of mine. Uh, On top of that, had Alex Harp on the podcast, my cousin, and I had my younger brother on the podcast and oddly enough, we talked about life, but we talked about, you know, recent events, we talked about the protests, we talked about the the ups and downs of COVID-19. We talked about, you know, what the bigger picture is. Um, My younger brother, as, you know, someone who's still in high school, had a lot of questions as a teenager. Um, Alex had a couple questions as well, but me and Joey just basically sat down and reflected on everything going on and uh, just kind of processed everything that's been happening. Um, Outside of that, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, I think we covered a lot, and I think we still raised a lot of questions that need to be answered. Outside of that, uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, if you've been listening for a while, uh, your subscription and liking the episodes is very important to us. It actually supports us and allows us to keep doing what we're doing. We are currently supporting, uh, through this pandemic, we are supporting two missionary couples. Um, on top of that, I've also started a coffee and tea shop. It's called Triune Coffee and Tea. And uh, yes, it's the same name as this podcast. Uh, I just find a lot of um, you know, good correlation between the two. And I decided to name a coffee shop Triune Coffee and Tea. Uh, it's something that I've wanted to get into for a while. I'm kind of passionate about optimizing your morning and also choosing healthy alternatives. Uh, so if you get the chance, follow that on social media. Other than that, uh, please enjoy the episode. Uh, This was Joey Almeida, Alex Harp, Jack Shadburn, and this is the Triune Podcast. Joey's Custard. We're back with Joseph James Almeida. Joey, thank you for being on the show again. I'm glad to be back. The world is on fire and we have a front row seat. So anyway, how have you been? Good. Nice to see all you guys. Glad to have you back in the shop after today's uh, mishap this morning. But um, I'm good, man. And to clarify, we basically just slept in, so it's all good. (laughs) But you know, I wanted to just kind of kick things off, honestly, like we'll probably talk about a lot of stuff and get into some 
deep discussions, but you are 27 and you've come you've come into this ice cream shop probably what this is three years now yeah june 12th actually will be our fourth birthday so with COVID 19 the quarantine and the lockdown life on this island and everything um i honestly just wanted to give you a chance to give an update on just how you've been able to run this business with everything going on in 2020 and what's your perspective on all this um so i'll share a story i think that encapsulates like what a lot of us went through in the second week of march this year i had an employee working for me and her dad called me and said hey i got my daughter on a flight back to st louis we're going to board her up in our lake house and we're going to basically quarantine from the world and i laughed hysterically at the phone call um i was like all right dude like whatever you think's coming like sure and you know i had my I had my theories and you know my thoughts about everything, but I also hadn't really looked into it. And then as things progressed, um, I saw like a moral obligation to close my store, so I ended up closing at the end of that month and actually gave that same guy a call back and apologized because I said you were a little ahead of your time with what you saw coming. Um, and we had a good conversation, but he's been in business 30 years and he just said he had a feeling, you know, and he trusted that. And I'm a believer in trusting that same gut feeling. Um, so I just did that, I would say, more or less through all of this. Um, we were able to deliver and stay open, and our local loyals, like, really saved us through all of this. Um, but, you know, like, everybody who's gone through or has gone through this, it's, like, it's unprecedented. We've never seen or experienced anything like this. Everyone that I went to for advice has never been through yeah. anything like this. So, um, but yeah, the update would just be, you know, we're still trucking along. We had great growth leading up until this thing, so, you know, keep saying if we can make it through Hurricane Irma, Red Tide, and now this, it's like I really feel like as a business we'll be viable Yeah, through whatever comes up. How did y'all operate business during this time since everything had to shut down? Um, So I made the commitment as a business owner to pay my employees until I went broke. You know, it was really the decision that I made. Um, I have, at the time, 23 kids working for me right now, like 18 because some seasonal kids have left, but all of them are still being paid and if I'm sitting here teaching them day to day to do the next right thing and then something like this comes up and I wasn't to pay them or I wasn't to do the next right thing, mm-hmm. then it's like what I'm doing isn't matching up with what I'm saying. Um, and so made that commitment and stayed doing deliveries and to-goes myself, worked everything myself, masks, gloves, you know, dropping stuff off at people's doorsteps. People, It actually felt almost like uh, back to my hustling days, people were leaving money in envelopes in the mailbox and I'm dropping off ice cream into coolers and stuff. So That's we awesome. stayed afloat the old fashioned way, you know, by people taking care of people. But yeah, um, really fortunate to get open back up at the end of April and have this month, you know, with people coming back to Florida. Did you, uh, are you cool with talking about the little miracle that you had happen? And actually, I don't want to say a little miracle because it wasn't. But no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big, big miracle in my in my life, and I've shared it with everybody as a believer and with non-believers. I think even more importantly. Um, so again, a roundabout way of telling the story was the end of the month when I decided to close. I made that commitment. Okay, I'm going to pay my employees. I'm going to go broke. Whatever I got to do, I got to do the right thing. Um, And we've talked about this, and it feels weird, but it's like I just made that commitment, so, like, my mind was set one way. And I'm sitting in the store a few days later, and I'm talking with another business owner, and she's 
beside herself. She's frustrated. She is worried. She is stressed. And the Holy Spirit just kind of nudged me and was like, pray for this lady and pray publicly and pray proudly. Um, and sharing it feels almost, you know, not like the right thing, but it's just, that's just what I was being convicted to do that week was pray publicly. And there was two other scenarios in that same week where I prayed publicly and God immediately blessed me once financially and once just with, you know, words of affirmation. And then this third time I prayed for this lady publicly and that was it. You know, we went on our day and nothing really changed. I'm journaling in the mornings and at night. And what I'm writing repeatedly every morning and night is you are faithful because I am faithful. Um, I think a lot of times we get into a relationship with God and we just envision him doing everything for us and not the other way around. Yeah. So I really committed myself like those few days, like I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to serve you. And so like every delivery I went on, every call I took, I was just like trying to let God lead. And like, I know we say that, but I really was like for those few days. And I'm, you know, we all go up and down and in and back in our lives. But for those few days, I really feel like God was in the front of everything I did. And then I took two days to just hiatus from the shop. I made a decision in my brain that I was, I was completely surrendering the store. Um, with hindsight, I was looking back at, okay, we had a Hurricane Irma, we had Red Tide, we keep hitting these walls. We're growing, but we're taking two steps back, you know, for every two forward, two back, and it's just kind of frustrating. So I said, all right, God, here's it. I'm putting it on the table. Um, I'm journaling this as I'm going, and I'm just, this is whatever you call me to do through this, I was finally putting it on the table and asking the question, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah. So I come in two days after taking that break, I'm doing office stuff, and I'm paying bills, and I see a letter from a lady, I don't recognize the name, I pay the rest of my bills, and at the end of it, I was like, you know what, I'll open that up. Um, I open it up to a really, really nice handwritten letter from a lady, and she wants to remain anonymous, so I'm gonna keep it that way. Mm -hmm. um, but she wrote me a check for an exorbitant amount, let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, enough money to change not my life, but everyone's lives around me. To stay in business, to keep paying my vendors, to put in a merchandise order. We're sitting here actually wearing three of the sweatshirts. I put in a you know a five thousand dollar merchandise order that same day, um, and I told her when I spoke with her on the phone a few days later because it took me a while to get myself together. I said I was like, this isn't going to go to me. This is going to go to everybody around me. Um, and she said I knew that when I wrote the check, um, and hindsight she took it back to she was standing in that grocery store that day uh, listening to me pray publicly and yeah. she had the feeling in her heart that money had never been an issue for her and she couldn't spend it in 10 lifetimes is the way she put it to me um, and she wanted to make sure selfishly that I stayed in business she wanted to continue to be able to bring her family here and spend time with us and so I would say to go back to your first question I've survived this time by one being faithful right to what I believe and to allowing people to bless me and help me because I think a lot of times we stop people short of the blessings yeah so literally because you you decided to act in faith and just kind of pray publicly out loud for somebody and that was a completely selfless like move there it literally brought forth a miracle in its own yeah you know? and some tie this all together is I got asked, okay, so at the time I'm living in a house of 10 people, mm -hmm. and we're all from ages 16 to 31. It's basically a big sorority and fraternity, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, and 
as soon as it happened, I knew, okay, this isn't my story. This is this is for me to share with other believers and non-believers alike. Like, let me just take this to as many people as I can and share the story. So I did, and somebody asked me recently, like, if you could know any stat about your life, what would you want to know? If you could quantify how many steps you've taken, how many miles you've ran, or whatever it is. Yeah. And I said, to be honest, I would like to know the people I've known the least but impacted the most. So like a top 10 sheet wow. of the people that I've run into the least amount in my life, so maybe just one interaction, that I've affected and impacted the most without even knowing it. And so like one of the people I look up to in life is Henry Nowen, he's an author. And he, read, he met Thomas Merton one time in person. He wrote two full books about that one encounter. Jeez. And so like, that got my brain thinking, like, right. how many people has Drew or Jack or Alex impacted that they've known the least but hit the most? And it was like, that's how I saw that moment. Like, this check, yes, it's for me, it's for my business, yes, sure. But, like, how many people are going to be affected by that, that I believe is a minimal way, but it's really maximal. So, like, when I took that news home that day, I watched the faces of all the people I was living with just shift. Like, yeah, we had almost had a sense of hopelessness because this was... April 6th when I opened the check. Right. But there was almost a sense of hopelessness in the country at that time. Yeah. Like everyone was kind of looking at the stats and the facts and being like, a million people are going to die from this. Like, On a weekly basis, there were just millions of just people losing jobs or closing businesses. Yes. Yeah. And it was happening fast at that point. And so to go home with like such the opposite energy mm-hmm. and to be like, look guys, here's the living, breathing God we talk about. Right. Like, I really believe, like, I'm going to take those journals and those entries one day and, like, scan them and write, like, a short story about the power of prayer. Because, yeah. like, for me, that's what happened in that moment. Like, I saw faithfulness. I called upon God. And then what I really did is I became proactive. And it's like, there's no recipe for success in life. But, like, yeah, I mean, that's at the core of it. Like, yeah. being faithful, being a servant. And then, like, even if that check never came, like, something would have blessed me during that time. I know it. Just, this is how it goes. And on top of that, too, you know, you're you're being an example for the people that you bring into this company, essentially. Like, you are being a leader to the employees, whether it is just, you know, somebody that guides them or teaches them about business or just shows them how to just be, like, a, a, an adult that depends on Jesus. And I think, like... You know, you can give them a job, you can give them guidelines, and all that is still kind of in the area of almost like talk is still cheap because things are good for you. But you had put it all on the line and you were like ready to keep paying these employees, but you were going to go broke. And then lo and behold, that miracle is brought about and that literally reinforces who you are. Not just like for yourself or just for other people you share testimony with, but the people that you're actually guiding so I thought you know that was pretty cool and I don't know if you did were you did you tell them about that yeah so one by one the employees came in kind of shared it with them the first person I brought it to because like I said the world on a grander scale was in such shambles at the time that when it happened I was my, my buddy works directly in line for the governor in the state of Florida and so like not that I have like direct access to him, but I said, hey, can you do me a favor? And I called him almost immediately. He was the second person I called after my brother. Mm-hmm. So can you do me a favor? Can you share this story anonymously? You don't, don't include my name, don't include her name. 
Don't even include the location. Just say Florida, South Florida. Right. But please tell our governor that people are helping people. Yeah. And the next day when Governor DeSantis was on, that was basically a phrase that he touched on. He was like, yeah. people, citizens of my state, are helping one another. So he's like, you're, see- you're not seeing everything that's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So to know, like that I took a story that impacted me and immediately it went up and through a channel. It's like, that's God. Yeah. Yeah. That's God working in my life. The yeah. fact that I even know that person and had the thought given to me, hey, share this with him to share it up the chain. Because at the time, there was a lot of hopelessness. And then, like, for me personally, the people around me, like, there was a shift after that day. Yeah. Like, we no longer were living in fear. Like, we were being respectful for what was going on. Yeah. But we started, like, game planning. Like, what's the long term like this look like? And, you know, get a bunch of young people in a room start sharing ideas like that's really what what I think it, it came out of it that's the miracle like what you say I think the reason you see a lot of fruit from your faith maybe more than I'm sitting here thinking like I wonder why I don't see as much is because I think you really put action to your convictions whereas a lot of people probably don't and they don't get to see the fruits you know as much yeah. as you have yeah and when you speak in like it's, I mean we all deal with it but like when you speak in Christian terms like fruit to like a non-believer, they're like, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. But it's it like the the the, what the good book tells us: follow these guidelines, follow these rules. Like, fruit will be there. You're, you're That's right. Most of the time, like that mentality is like, "I'll believe it when I see it." Yeah. And, and that right there is just there's not a middle ground for that. You know, the 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 actual like if you put that in a court of law and you investigated it, the evidence right there is that you acted on your faith. Yeah. And that was the result of you acting on your faith. That's even funny that you say that, too, because I talk about, like, if I got pulled into court, litigated for my faith, like, Mm -hmm. a a prosecution attorney would have a heyday with me because they could shoot holes in my theology. They could shoot holes in, I mean, you could just pick me apart as a person because of what I've been through in my life. But they cannot, and there's an impossible way to to quantify faith belief. So it's like, no, no, I know and I've experienced what from 22, 23 in the gutter, you know, life in shambles to the transformation. It's like, that has nothing to do with me. That has to do with moving on those convictions, moving on the Holy Spirit, whatever you call that. People call it energy or universe or, right. you know, we hear so many different things, Tao, Buddha, like, it, it doesn't matter to me, whatever. For me, this is the path I've chosen and I'm seeing fruit. And so it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep with this because I... I that faith is real. I've touched it. Yeah. You know, I've experienced God in the living. And so it's like, I, you can't take that from me. You can take everything else, but... Yeah. So through that lens, then, right there, we've gone from a shift within just this last week of, you know, staying inside, stay home, stay safe, do the right thing, social distance, all this, to now we are dealing with in my mind what seems like a race war and I I don't want to try to dissect that too much as like four white guys around a table trying to figure out you know hey let's get to the bottom of this but through the lens of a Christian with all these events happening do you have a personal take I think Stephen Furtick did it beautifully um Pastor Stephen Furtick, and I, you just got to take whatever, so I have a platform with the business I posted yesterday for Blackout Tuesday, um, that's my small way, and so yeah. like, take your platform that you've worked hard and gotten, maybe because of your white privilege, maybe not, 
maybe because you've gotten a few breaks, maybe not. Whatever it is, if you're in a position of any type of power, of any type of substance, of any type of character, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, whether you're from overseas or whether you were born in the United States, doesn't matter. If you are an American citizen right now, you need to turn that over to the people who need that platform to speak. So, like, Atlanta, I think, did the best job of anybody in the country. My buddy went down to Atlanta. You got Killer Mike going up and just crushing it. Speaking truth, speaking validity into the situation, saying, like, basically putting his arms up as a guy who's been tied in Black Lives Matter from the beginning and being like, I don't know the answers to this. He's like, but I know I'm going to wake up tomorrow, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to come up with a plan. Turn over that platform. Stephen Furtick had another gentleman on and said, here, you speak. Mm -hmm. So it's like, whatever I'm going to say or think, it's not going to be the right answer because it's not from the people who need to speak. Right. Like, I can have all the great ideas, and I think... I'm listening to David Goggins right now in, in, in my free time, and he talks about how he sat down at MIT across from a guy who studied it and thought he knew everything, but David Goggins is an example of a guy who's lived everything. Yeah. Let's leave this to the people who's lived through it. Right. Like, that's really my feeling. Like I said to you and Laura, like, this is not my table to sit at and have a conversation. That's yeah. really it. Like, I feel strongly about it. Trust me. I serve with people of color. I serve with minorities. I myself have witnessed, let, let's say, in quotations, racism in my life yeah and maybe could have done a better job standing up for shooting down doing my job so i can look internally and fix myself through this that's the way i see it but as far as speaking on it and even thinking that what i would say would catch any traction i think it's unfair i think take the concepts of jesus and just love everybody do the best we can um jesus said at the end of chapter six of matthew in the middle of the sermon on the mount one of his most pertinent things, but it's do not worry for tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries for itself. Right. Worry about today. Right. So it's like today I can't come up with that solution. So yeah. it's like just let the people who've poured their entire lives into this, the Holy Spirit is working through them and in them to fix this problem. Allow that to happen. Yeah. You know we're we're all we're all going to be a piece in this puzzle, but it's like some of us are going to play very small parts, and so it's like be okay with that. Yeah. Your voice doesn't need to be heard just because you think you have something to say. You know, there's a. Uh somebody posted this and I thought this was just a really great thing to kind of say to like anybody who may want to comment on Facebook like but this or but that or something like that and I think the 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 way to look at this situation through the lens of the gospel basically is like through Luke chapter 15 where the the Basically, Jesus talks about if the shepherd is with a hundred sheep and one sheep is like lost and led astray, the shepherd will leave the 99 to go after the one sheep. Yeah. I think whatever background you have or whatever answers you think you have to the problem, I think we can all agree that the, the black community is the one lost sheep right now in whatever form we think that is. And what's important right now is that that one lost sheep is found. Whatever we think that is the situation that is truly crippling that community. Um, I think like kind of what like makes me sad is that through all of this, I like personally feel such a separation from that community. Like I want to just really be a part of like what's going on or like what... Like, I want to say, like, I'm, I really am here with you, but then it's also like, man, I have just, I have just, even though we live under the same flag and the same constitution, 
you know, it, it's, it is your home life. It's your home life compared to my home life. It's your neighborhood compared to my neighborhood. And that, oddly enough, is always on the other side of town. And that's what's weird. Like, being a resident of Louisville, Kentucky, where one of the riots is currently happening, where Breonna Taylor was killed, this is a very, like, troubling thing because one of the largest churches in the nation is in Louisville, Kentucky. And yet, I still don't see the diversity that I think I ought to see in that church. Not blaming them for anything. It's just, it could simply just simply be their geographical location. But it is still weird to think that the 10th most impoverished neighborhood in the United States is 12 miles, I think, less than 12 miles away from the 8th largest church in the nation. And so... You know, that that right there, whatever the problem was that led to that, like, I think we can all agree that there can be things that are led to fixing that, you know. Um, but, yeah, I just, for me personally, like, I, I'm, I'm a little worried about the way the social fabric of our nation is going to change after these upcoming weeks. Um, being locked indoors for so long and then only to come outside for basically what seems like I mean what on one half of the equation is peaceful protest but on the other half of the equation is unwanted chaos right outright and, violence yeah it's a it's a it's an unnecessary casualty and I don't know especially as four white guys again around the table what to say about that like I, of course I'm not with it right but what do I say that really would communicate something that is honest. What what I can speak on from what I've done, and this I, I share this like just because I think it's important. Reach out to the people who you know in those communities are being affected, and ask them how you can help. Yeah. So like I had the gift of in the mil- in the military when I was in the army, serving with my three best friends were all black guys, and we're all from different areas. And so I had a friend from Chicago, I had a friend from Memphis, and I had a friend from Charlotte. And the four of us were, we were everywhere one of us went, the other three were right behind. And so that year in Korea, I really got to be, like in a way, I got the greatest blessing of my life. Like I got to ask unabated, unblocked questions to three young black men who grew up in different, very tumult, like turmoil-filled cities. Yeah. And hearing what they went through and like what their lives were like and how, you know, pretty much being forced into gang culture as a teenager, not willingly, not wanting to, trembling the first time that they touched and held guns, but hearing about how you become more emboldened and brash by the more you have it. Right. These three were guys who broke free, broke clear and got into the military. That's, you know, that's a dream for some of those guys and they got to do that. But getting to like reach back out to them and say, okay, like I know you're in Memphis, I know you're in Chicago, I know you're in Charlotte, what can I do for y'all? And so they sent me names to organizations and links that I'm gonna hopefully be able to work with moving forward. But it, it really is, it's just like anything. God calls us like be practical, so like pray, put yeah. on your knees, meditate. Like he calls us to do different things. It's like this is one of those scenarios where I think communication is key. I think reaching out, hearing, just simply letting somebody tell you what they're going through. Yeah. Because like that's really at, the, at its core what social media was made to do. And so, like, if we're going to overcome a situation like this, it's like it's going to be through these, as much as we don't want to sometimes, we're going to have to use these platforms to really get ideas to the forefront, to get them communicated well, 
But yeah, I would say that's what I've done, and I've already felt that little bit of that glimmer of hope mm-hmm. because one, they're just they're people, and so like I care about people, all people, and so it's like when I have a friend who has a family member die, especially guys I was in the service with, I always reach out. Yeah. And so like, these guys might not personally have had you know somebody die, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, in this scenario. But that is their brother. You know, that is, in a roundabout way, they've probably had somebody die under similar circumstances. And so they're going through the death of a family member right now. Like, our job is to communicate, ask, what can I do? And if they just tell you F off, like, I'm not with it, whatever, I don't want to hear from you, whatever. It's like, okay, good. Like, uh, but I'm here. Right. And whether you want me here or not, I'm going to be here. Like, that's, I think that's really what it, like, there isn't going to be, like, a forefront position for white people in this. Yeah. And that's okay. And if you're a white person who doesn't agree with that, it's like, you're gonna have a hard time with what we were talking about, what the world looks like moving forward. Cause it's like, we're in this together, we have been from the beginning. And like, I guess because I was in the military, I saw that in a different way. I physically had to stand in, in formation and plan, and you know, and do these different missions and be trained. And like I said, see and listen and share meals and share stories with guys from all over the world. It's like. My small town community, Sanibel, 96% white people, like, out the window in a heartbeat. Like, all the privilege and everything I grew up with, I quickly learned, like, oh, that means nothing. You know, it really, it really, I mean, it means everything, but I'm saying to most people it means nothing. Because they don't, like you said, the world is just so different. Yeah. When those guys wake up in West Louisville and, and maybe bike or ride by that church. Right. They probably physically feel like that building is here working against me. Yeah. We can't even fathom what that feels like. Mm-hmm. When we pull up to church, it's a good feeling. It's a warm feeling. It's like, yeah. even if they're being forced to go there, they that alone might make them hate it even more. So it's like, it's just our time to really like, to take a step back and to give our platforms and our podiums and our whatever we've got over to the people who are doing this for the right reasons. Like you said, there is there is some uncontrolled chaos. There are some people who really just want to see the world burn. And I don't even blame them for that. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I genuinely don't. Like, If the roles were reversed, that might be me, because I'm, I'm a hothead like that. And like, if, if I felt like my voice was never going to be heard, I might go out on my sword too. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm, so, I'm truly afraid though of like what that alone will do. So it's like, yeah. you, You've got a protest that is out there to say, hey, look, this is something that's affecting us. This is the change that we want. We're here to change your mind. All of a sudden, all of that happens in the aftermath of what is supposed to be a peaceful protest. What do you say to people who look at that and they were the ones that the protesters were trying to change the minds of? But then they just wrote it off because of everything that happened. Well, the peaceful protest never, apparently didn't work because they've been peaceful protesting for years. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they if I felt like my voice wasn't being heard like that, I would do the same thing. Like, I, I mean, I probably personally wouldn't, but, I mean, you you have to kind of step it up at some point whenever you're being run over and the peaceful protest for years have been going on and nothing changes. Yeah. Because even when, yeah, we to go back to history, like even when peaceful protests did work and Martin Luther King pushed the civil rights and you know they got laws passed and you had desegregation of schools, like you spoke on, Drew, like that desegregation of communities, historically speaking, hasn't even really happened. Like yeah. I can take you to a specific area in Fort Myers right now, park the car, and you'll only see people of one race. I'll drive you ten minutes down the road, park the car, you'll only see people 
people of one race. Drive 10 minutes. I'm not joking when I yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. That close in, in a 30 minute span, I can take it. And so, like, they've won small victories, but their voice is still yeah. in the back of the room. And that's how they feel. And so it's like, and then you really want to get into it and talk about, but like, agent provocateurs, like, I've seen videos of the white gentleman smashing the windows at AutoZone. Do we want to put our tinfoil hats on real yeah. quick? Yeah, I do. And then I've seen videos of... What's that? I've seen videos of, of, of white guys escalating the violence yeah. and black guys grabbing said weapons of violence or said tools of destruction, removing them and being like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, that's and so, what I want to get to the bottom of real quickly is the pallets of bricks that I saw. That all over the cities. Put uh, just... What the heck is that? We had a picture shared right here downtown Fort Myers two days ago. Pictures of pallets, same situation. What is that? I, exactly. No, I, and that's that's where we so, get into... So, yeah, so to, to kind of explain a little bit oh, okay, yeah. for them, so basically we just put our tinfoil hats on, which means we're kind of getting into our conspiracy theory. Oh, sort yeah, of. we're getting weird. That's like, that's like, that's like yeah. But so basically what, what ended up happening was just like what you said, the peaceful protests... Like, they weren't enough. But then, here we are having casualties after the fact. And what instigated these casualties was, mysteriously, through all of these major cities, pallets of bricks, like red bricks, yeah. were just placed on streets throughout all the... Like, there are multiple pictures in multiple cities of pallets of bricks... In downtown areas, unmarked, untied down, just sitting. Unaccounted for. Nobody knows what they were there for. But those bricks were used to to vandalize stores, break windows, and to loot businesses. I mean, do you think it's just simply the people who wanted to loot and? These were put like there days before yeah. these these protests yes. broke out. Though. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I and so that's where you get into like. Operation Backwoods. That's where you start, like you mean okay, Northwood, Northwood. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start unpacking, like the US, you start unpacking, like the U.S. government's history in inciting violence in order to get the the amount of support they need to do something. Yeah. And so, like, you get you get stuff like this. Where, like, do I want to believe the worst? No. But it's like, where are the answers to the questions? Right. Why is that gentleman smashing windows at AutoZone? Right. Why is his ex-wife saying that he works for the St. Paul Police Department? Right. Why is two, three young white gentlemen in Texas smashing stuff and being screamed at by hundreds of people to stop? Yeah. Kindful, peaceful protesters right. being like, please stop. And the guy has to get violent with the dude to get him to stop. It's like, where are the answers to these questions? Why are there pallets of bricks showing up? Right. In not one, not two, but a hundred or more or less. It doesn't even matter. If it's more than one, it's not a coincidence. It's like... Why? How? Is that? And we won't get those. So what? What's infuriating about that is that you know I think instinctively we want to take that all the way to the government, or we want to take that all the way to like Antifa or something. What? 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 What would that mean then? You know, honestly, would that like? What would that mean for an entire community, like an entire? like race of people like the black community wanting to protest and they're saying hey there's systemic racism going on here and it's taking this form and it's taking this form and it's taking this form and we want to talk about it all of a sudden you see people 
who are being identified as belonging to that system that are now escalating the situation where law enforcement legally can get involved to extinguish said peaceful protest. It's, it's like, can you say something like that out loud on an intellectual like level? Like, could you be a city official that says that out loud and still keep your job? Could you be like a pastor at a church and say that out loud and still keep your job? Say what exactly? To say, like, imagine if I was a pastor of a church and say, hey, everybody, we know what these protests were these week, like this week. We know what they were protesting about. We yeah. know what was going on. We are here in support. I have a personal opinion right now about why these protests escalated to a violent level. And my personal opinion is that pallets of bricks randomly were laid out through all the major cities. Yeah. And we have no idea where they came from. But what we did observe through social media was videos of white gentlemen in bandanas who were unidentifiable. Some were identified to belong to certain uh, police precincts or what, certain other groups, what have you, that started to smash and loot buildings. And they escalated the situation to where the peaceful protest no longer became a peaceful protest. Law enforcement was able to step in. So now as a pastor, as a shepherd of a congregation, would I completely lose my credibility if I were to say, I believe this was a setup. I believe this was a conspiracy to defame an entire people group and make the world believe that they are incapable of having a peaceful protest and a conversation about the things that are disenfranchising their community. I feel like, like even be, saying that right now, like I feel be, like this would be something where it'd be like, well, it's all over for you. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but it's like that is what that is what my instinctive imagination is leading me to believe from what I'm observing. You know, like yeah. where did the bricks come from? And that's not a that's not a huge question because they were there. So I, I don't know what to tell people when when somebody says, well, what about all the leaders? Be like, well, I mean, dude, that is that is an entire deep, deep discussion because, yeah, on social media, you saw a lot of people of the black community, you know, looting a Target or looting a CVS pharmacy. But you saw these people who were in different sections of town, different streets, just taking bricks and just smashing windows and walking off. And it looked as if they had, they didn't have signs, they didn't yeah. have banners, they weren't marching, they weren't chanting. It was just a group, it was groups of guys walking off, smashing things and running away. And it was like, who are they? And that's back to Operation Northwoods. That's, right. that's literally what ended up happening was someone had to ask that question and pose that question. And ironically enough, yeah. it was Alex Jones, who's now... 30 years in the future considered yeah. to be a complete psychopath even though he was one of the people who initially pushed this theory and proved it to be true right. that these boots matched the boots of US military groups and they went backwards and that's how they ended up getting those answers it's like and to they explain that real quick can you ex can you explain to them what our operations in Northwoods is they and it's even hard to say that because again like you, just the question you posed right. I can't even officially say the United States government but I believe within the United States government it was the CIA right. were 
paying provocateurs mm-hmm. to go to I want to say it was Cuba. So it was you, it was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Cuban Missile Crisis, yeah. Yeah, and there was like to just piggyback a little bit. So there, what they were doing was they had this operation where I guess it was because of the Geneva Convention that there are certain laws of, or rules of engagement that that basically if you belong to NATO or the United Nations you can't you can't commit these certain acts of war unless provoked in a certain way. So what Operation Northwoods was going to be was the CIA essentially planned to arm Cuban natives to ambush and kill American troops so that the American government could legally within the oh. Geneva Convention enact I, yeah, acts I heard of about war. That. Yeah, yeah. Now I know what you're talking about, yeah. And that's a real situation. Where and that's like mean? Yeah. And so it's just like if that is it so basically there was like this comedian that explained it this way. He said I'm not a conspiracy theorist kind of guy. I don't believe in every conspiracy theory. But here's the way that I take this whole thing, is that we have elected a government to be put in charge of millions of citizens, and that's basically the bottom line. I am one man who has been put in charge of one child to raise that child, protect that child, just like the government is in charge of raising us and protecting us in certain ways. And he said, I lie to my child every single day. And he, and he said, why, why, why would we think that that is not possible for the government to, to have human error or to be human in that way? You know? Mm-hmm. So now it's just like, what kind of conversations do we honestly have? You, ha- you now have an entire people group. You have an entire community that has been disenfranchised by the casualties of this chaotic protest that happened, and now the conversation is back to square one. Yeah. Because everyone's going to be like, well, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but, you know, and it's always going to be the but at the end of it, and that's going to be the extent of the conversation. Do you, back with the brick things, like, do you think it's, like, possibly, like, people who are obviously still, like, racist and, like, want... I don't know how to say it, like, they're doing it on purpose to make the protests and riots look worse than they are. No doubt. Like, I mean, I mean, is that, like, is that what you think it is? That's an entire, that's that's a completely possible scenario. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if, I, take, if I was looking at it that way, I, that's completely what I think it would but, be. But here's the, here's the typical demographic that really is what what we consider to be a racist backwards community it's it's people who don't have community with black people right it's people who don't share neighborhoods schools or workplaces with people in the black community and they don't want to so that is that's backwards and racist yeah and so what is hard to say that oh it's just a bunch of racists white guys who were like, you know what, let's make this protest look bad. Because how could a bunch of backwoods racist white guys throughout all the nation 
collectively get together and say, hey guys, let's throw pallets of bricks into these major cities a few days before these protests take place. I have, I have no clue. But and like, then we'll go in and sabotage the whole thing. What else do you think it could be? Like, what are all, like, what are the other theories to it? I mean, what, what system is in place that you can coordinate an operation like that that goes across the entire nation? Chicago, Atlanta, Louisville, yeah. Philly. So uh, I guess now what? Be Fort Myers, like the every city, LA. I mean, I mean, it's yeah. ev- it's all the major cities. Yeah. So what are you saying? He's saying it's like you think it's government think it's like like organized sort of thing. I don't know another. I think system it's important to ask the question. Right. Yeah. It's I think it's important to bring that up to the forefront of this conversation because it's like I and you guys can't shoulder the load of for lack of a better term, idiots, mm-hmm. jerks, racists, whatever we want to call them, like right. making decisions. Yeah. I am not the sins of my ancestors. Right. I am my own person. Right. So are you, and so are you. So it's like, for me, I want to get to the root of that question mm-hmm. because it's like, I feel you, man. Yeah. I feel your pain. Like, I am just as frustrated. I spend hours listening to podcasts, reading books and audio books. Like, I want to know the answer too, bro. I really do. Mm-hmm. So it's like that question needs to be brought up because if we don't bring it up, then right. it won't get answered. If those questions just come from that community that's being afflicted right now, they won't get. But if enough right. powerful, rich, right. hardworking Americans with a good name and a good legacy right. ask that question at the same time, then you get answers. Yeah, that's just how it works. Yeah, like it, to be honest, like it's sad, but if you if you if you, you can find conspiracies throughout the government in any history of any period of time. Yeah. And the sad thing is, like, for as much progress as we've made in this country in a short time, it's like we're going to be remembered by our sins, just like we look back on Soviet, we look back on Germany, we look back on, you know, the Ming dynasties and these different periods of time where we're, like, really easy to point out, like, wow, mm-hmm. look at those scars. Like, look at what they did to each other. Yeah. We're living that right now. So it's like, are you going to be on the right or wrong side of history in this? Like, are you going to be on the side that pushes forward and makes the place better, like we've done for the last 300 years? Or are you going to hold on for every last dying breath to the way things were, which is our whole whole point is to drive this thing forward. So that's really what it comes down to. It's like, we have to ask the question because if we don't, the question never gets, it goes away. Yeah. Yeah. What happened in 9-11? Tower seven, like what happened? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. there's questions that if the, if the communities in the country really pushed forward and wanted answers, we would have gotten. Them. Yeah. You know, sometimes we do, we get answers. Yeah. But when we don't, it it goes away. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's yeah. like it's our community's job. It's you know, Pastor Stephen Furtick. It's like you pose the question. It is each individual government leader's job mm-hmm. to pose that question yeah. fearlessly. Yeah. You know, and pastors and community members and teachers and me as a business owner. Like, yeah. it's our job to push the conversation. And I shared this with you guys before we went live, but on my personal Instagram, I lost a record number of followers in yeah. one day yesterday from one post. Yeah. I can guarantee you I can guess the race of every single one of those people that don't yeah. follow me. And that's sad. No doubt. Because like we always talk about one of our good buddies says, if you look at a group of 100 people in the United States, 10 of them just suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 90 people, you know, whatever, they're going to be from suck to great, you know, yeah. somewhere in that range. But 10 of those 100, multiply that to get to 350 million people in the United States. Right. You have a lot of people who suck. Yeah. Yeah. You have a lot. You have an exponential number of people who suck. So it's yeah. like, it is our job as the people in the 90 
to outmaneuver, outpower, and outthink those 10 people who suck, period. Like, that's yeah. the way I see it. And a lot of those people that are in the 10 are most of the times the ones that are loud. Yes. And the so most it seems like they're a lot bigger than 10. Yes. yes. You know? They're the ones commenting and posting yeah. and unfollowing and sharing. And yeah. you asked the question earlier, how could, um, let's just call them for lack of a better term, redneck hick boys yeah. congregate together and, and know to meet and coordinate. And I'm not saying they could, but they could on Facebook. There's right. private groups. That's what and I, I'm involved in a couple that, private groups I mean, on Facebook that, that I've removed that. myself from over the years because I'm just like, this isn't who I am To anymore. clarify, probably not a redneck. No, yeah. no. Like a, a couple pages from military days and right, stuff. You know, right. Stuff gets shared on there, but as I'm, as I'm maneuvering who I am, you know, I've had to remove myself from those groups. But I just, there's a certain way of thinking, and us as white people, we have to be honest to have this conversation, like I said earlier. I've witnessed racism in my life and could have done a better job at one, stopping it, and two, making sure it didn't happen again. Yeah. I'm guilty of that. Yeah. Every person needs to be willing to look in the mirror and answer that question honestly. And if you haven't, good for you. But what can you do to make it better? Yeah. That should be the question you're asking yourself. Yeah. This is not about oh, well, white people get killed, and so do black people, so your black people don't matter. It's right. like, no, no, no. On a percentages and on a number scale, more black people, as percentages, get killed than whites. And in a much more brutal fashion, let's be right. honest. Yes, there are crazy white people who deserve to be put down. Right. Sometimes do. That's just a fact. But some of these cases, we've seen them recorded. They're completely helpless. They're... It's just, we watch it in horror. And mm-hmm. so it's like, if that doesn't make you question, like, the way things are going, like, you can't just say, oh, this is a few bad cops, because it's a lot of few bad cops at this yeah. point. Right. Like, yeah. it's a lot, you know? And we're watching it in a time where everything is captured, and so it's like, there is no excuses anymore. Yeah. Um, it makes you wonder, you know, how long has this been going on? Precisely. We, we think it's just now happening, but it's just, the facts are that it's just now being recorded. It's yeah. Just now being recorded. Social media is and now, so it's finally. Like, yeah, putting it out there. It's and something else that I've all like I've been confused with right now is like how we can help. And I know like you ask people around you that you know that are struggling with it and ask them how you can help. But like even like if you don't do that like with the protests and stuff, I almost feel like every single peaceful protest that I've seen has turned out to become like dangerous in some form. You know what I mean? And Drew, I know you have a good answer to this, I can mm-hmm. tell, but this is, okay, so if you want to do anything in this world, if you want to change the world at all, a short-term plan is never as good as a long-term plan. So what if do you like, mean? So if you're thinking, like, just in the terms of, like, oh, well, I can go help with a peaceful protest, or I can do this or write this, and, and short-term fixes, those are good. So, for instance, I sat down and was like, I want to own a business. Here's right. how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go in every day. I'm going to work my fingers to the bone. I'm going to work 90 hours a week. I'm going to study in my free time. I'm going to listen to books. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to go to people. But that's You can live your life from this point until the end of it, Jack, with the mindset of, I'm going to become an elected city official. I'm going to rewrite laws in my community. Yeah. I'm going to change it from the inside out. Or I'm going to become an owner of a business I'm going to change. So, like... You yeah. can take the feelings that you're having in the short term and apply them to long-term plans and physically change the outcome of the yeah, world around you. Yeah. So you're saying I can help right now by focusing on the future. Your future plans. Who yeah. are you going to become? Are you going When you hear a joke that might be racist, are you yeah. going to stop it? Exactly. When you see or witness somebody being harassed by police, do you step in and yeah. say, hey... Do you use your white privilege for good, or do you allow things? So, like, the, the, I think the best answer I'd have to that is, like, come up with a long-term plan. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying, like, go be 
president and, and do it that way, but I'm just saying, like, there's so many ways to affect it from the inside out. You can never make another poorly taste, poorly tasted race joke again in your life, and that in and of itself is progress. Yes, yeah. and something else is like, if people are like, why aren't you doing anything right now? Like, in this moment, like, why aren't you hope? Like, that's where I get like, like I feel like. I am doing my part by not being racist, by not making racist jokes, by not doing that, but I feel like people don't expect me to do more, but almost feel like I should be doing more, like I could be doing more right now, and like that's where I get to the point where I'm like, I'm not like 100% sure what to do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I mean, because like I don't have money that I can donate, like I... Work at Rikishi, I think, like ten dollars <laughs> an hour, and I have to buy my car. Like, I can't like. Well, I think and I think even more effective than donations is your attitude towards it. Like, I've seen a lot of people post that being not racist is not enough anymore. You got to be anti-racist and be proactive yeah. in stopping it and and just not allowing it. And I think that's one thing that's been encouraging to see in our country is that we are quickly. I I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I feel like we're quickly uniting. You know, around the fact, I mean, there's not many people that are going to disagree with you on this matter right now in this country. Like, and if they are, they get, you know, they get thrown to the curb really quickly. So um, I'm hoping we're making progress quickly. I think we are, but I think it's got to be anti-racist. In, in everything that you do instead of just not being like, well, I, I like black people. You know, like you yeah, got you to proactively seek to make it yeah. better. But, you know, so like along with that, though, that is also where we wade into, in my mind, like really murky waters because what if I say, yeah, I, in fact, I want to be anti-racist. I want to build up these disenfranchised communities. I want to help the black community. I want to help the Latino community or just any minority in general. And I say, uh, this is what I want to do. And then turns out like that answer isn't accepted, you know, or it's like, what do you like being anti-racist isn't, this is, this is like the real difficult conversation where as a Christian, I'm pro-life. Mm-hmm. That's it, yeah. you know, and that's like if anybody gets upset at me, like that listens to this podcast, like listen, I don't have hate for pro-choice people. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't. That's just I have no beliefs. hatred for you. I have love for you. I don't share your view, and that's it. I'm pro-life. So when I say though, if I say, look, what if one of the solutions to rebuild the black community? was to take a pro-life stance at, like as a nation because of how many black children are aborted every year. In some cities, it's as high as 60% right. of abortions are after So literally, it, it, So literally, that means if you see a, a young pregnant black woman, in, like in one of the ratios is in Harlem, right? She is statistically more likely to get an abortion than she is to have a baby. And and that right there is where I'm like, let's reform the the law enforcement, you know, side of things. Let's reform uh, 
citizen's arrest, you know, let's, let's, yeah, I mean, that for one thing, let's get that taken care of. But then if I wanted to say, hey, there's some other things that I really think, and then that's where we have a whole other political, um, like, forest fire. And I'm saying, hey, this would actually, like, double the size of your community within yeah. two years. What, but like, there, also, what do you say to the people who say, maybe, I don't, I don't think this is a lot of people, I think a lot of people who do have abortions are because they can't support the child, they, the father's not there. But, like, what if they do say, for the people who are in Harlem and I believe gang activity is very strong there, like, they don't want to have the child because they think there's a very high chance that they will join a gang, they will do wrong, like, you know what I mean? And that's the bed of nails that, like, we have to work through. Yeah, I think if you're willing to show up to the table with ideas and not be worried about being received as being right or wrong is like the crux of this. Right. I think like an open conversation, an open-ended table, so to speak, and this dates back to 2016, like when Kanye was willing to go sit down at the table with Trump, he caught a huge amount of backlash. Yeah. And then like just last few weeks, you get Biden saying, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Right. And it's like, things like this, and then, and then you have black communities stand up against that and produce videos and say, no, I am black and I did vote for Trump. And right. just like you said, like yeah. pro-choice, pro-life, doesn't matter. You love and respect that person. Right. Yeah. It's like if we show up to the table and we're not worried about being right or wrong, mm-hmm. that's when progress will happen. That's yeah. true. Because it's like, it, yes, like changing what pro-life, pro-choice might be, maybe, I'm just like, might be maybe the third item on the agenda towards success. I don't know. Right. Maybe yeah. it's the hundredth item. Like, yeah. to me and you. Yeah we see that in our life and even probably more would be like yeah that seems very logical let's try that out but if that's right. not the order of operations then I don't think you're losing for having tried if right. that makes sense yeah. yeah and also the argument would be from from their side why you know why would we worry about abortion rates when yeah. we can't even keep alive yeah. because of police brutality the, the people that are out in the streets getting killed by white cops like right. yeah. why would we worry about the unborn when the born can't even survive right now, yeah. you know that's like and if that, that's, if, that that's, if that would be the conversation right now, then like it, literally here's here is what I'll say in this moment right now. I'm literally not going to get into statistics of of what that is because of the political response and backlash that I'll get by saying that. I could really say some things that are statistically true that would be like kind of what I'm reinforce what I'm saying but right now like we are protest we are protesting yeah. a particular subject yeah. right now so we are going to pay attention to that particular right. subject but that is also the thing where I'm like that is where I say hey I want I want to join you I want to have a seat at the table here with you guys I want to listen I want to take a knee I want to protest I want to hear you and then when you say hey be anti-racist and contribute and then I bring this to the table and you say, no, nah, that won't work. And then I say, oh, I, but I mean, here are the numbers. That, that's the hard part, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not trying to get at any particular place by saying that. But that is the thing where I'm like, is this kind of like a situation now where I guess if you have a certain skin color, 
your word at the end of the day is final and that I don't even know like I don't even know what I would have to ask other friends in the community that I'm a part of like what they would think of well yeah you get into the meat and potatoes discussion of like you can you can push for and look for equality of opportunity Mm -hmm. that's what I think we would all agree on but equality of outcome will never be yes and like you can't have both at the same time it will never happen you cannot into the same community at the exact same age have a black and white baby born Mm -hmm. parented by the same parents with the same siblings in the same schools with the same meals with the same sports all the way to the end of their life right right. and end up with yes they had equal opportunity and equal outcome the whole time it's not gonna happen right for instance not to get back to this but I want to serve like I'm successful at my age and Alex and I have discussed this like because I'm willing to put in like an ungodly amount of time yes. into my business and like you, people love listening to Gary Vee and people love listening to Joe Rogan and people love listening to all these different people and it's like because at the end of the day they're not looking for a quality of outcome mm-hmm. so that's where like I agree with you like facts over feelings there's a time to look at statistics and I just think we're in a time right now where it's like yeah, I don't think we're going to get really clear answers for the time being. And yeah. I think even if you look at history as a timeline, it's like, yes, we've progressed so much as the U.S. this first 300 years, but, like, we, and that's what I mean about long-term solutions, like, we might not even live to see the end of this. Mm-hmm. Maybe our kids do. Mm-hmm. And so let's make it from our home out yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, let's love one another, let's respect, let's take the gospel principles, let's take the Sermon on the Mount and actually live it in our daily lives so that your kids, when you raise them, and your wives and your families will be members of their community who the black community doesn't even have to question if they support. They know. Right. You're right there. You right. go to the church in West Louisville. Right. You've always been f- friends with people from there. You are living in these other places, and your family is contributing to these organizations. Like, mm-hmm. Don't even give someone room to question, because if you're living properly as a Christian, there shouldn't be room to question. They can hate on you. Mm-hmm. And... and your ideas I guess so to speak but yeah I think right now like I'm in a, the same boat I think a lot of times I agree with facts over feelings I think right now for me this is a feelings matter and mm-hmm. so that's why like I'm folding my chair taking a step back and being like I'm gonna let this these come yeah. to the front let them speak their part but like behind closed scenes like yeah I'm gonna be figuring out ways that I can yeah. long term change my course plan my life to figure this out yeah if that means buying a home like in a black community and parking my family right in the center of that and being a white guy on his porch drinking his coffee in the morning I might do that but like that's a legitimate long term plan to change the world like you get what I'm saying like it starts there show up like actually actually make yourself vulnerable and give your ear to somebody who's been suffering like you'd be surprised like you know I think we said we didn't want to sit around for and talk about it but it's you know this this is what's going to push it forward yeah Yeah. Our buddies, our people, our friends listening to this, hearing this, and hopefully, you know, people take that same course of action. Yeah. And hopefully, this is the collective view that you know the church has. You know, yeah, um, I agree. What's really crazy is I talked to my buddy um, Jake, who basically was the last guest on the episode, and um, what was really kind of hard for the both of us was he went to school out in California. And he went to a Christian school out there. It was um, he went to a Christian college, Biola, and he got a great education. He's a pastor up in Portland, and he church, he plants churches and everything. But what me and him both talked about after the podcast 
was what was shockingly different about California Christianity to Midwestern heartland Christianity almost. He had these things that are these opinions that are literally biblical about this particular subject and being met with opposition within the church community in a different part of our nation. And that's what, like, that for me was just like, wow, we really can't get on the same page here. It's not a matter of Jake having a brother who is black that they adopted from Ghana. It's, like, it's, they're saying, well, it's that California mindset. I mean, hey, he, he went to a Christian college. He's a pastor. You're a Christian. Why, why, is there, why is there disconnect here? What are we, like... I mean, if we're if if within the church we're all disagreeing and not actually having everything in common, like the first church did in the Book of Acts, then you know we got to take a deeper look into this and got to be willing to like open our minds a little bit. And I just I don't know like that's where you get into like at the formation of our country the argument of the Federalist Papers versus. Right. The Constitution. It's like, do we have a 50-state government? Right. Or do we have individual states operating freely under one united banner? And right. So it's like, you start to really, as we communicate and as we move further forward in time, it's like you really start to see why that had a lot of merit and why those guys who wrote that, you know, it, it, it is something that plays out. And it's like, you can even take it biblical like you were saying. And it's like, Christians persecute Christians. Whether they do it figuratively or physically, it's yeah. like when we look back at the Bible, who portrayed Jesus? Judas. Judas, yeah. right? Yeah. Not Peter, right? Peter didn't deny oh, yeah, three times. Yeah. yeah. So it's like we as Christians pick like, oh well, that sin was greater than that sin, so your sin's worse off. You're yeah. gonna, you're gonna be the bad guy. You're right. the Christian from California who doesn't believe what I believe. It's like, what? Right. It's like, what are we doing here? It's yeah. like Judas, without Judas, the story of Jesus doesn't become complete. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't speak his last sentence on the cross. Like, yeah. does, that, does that make sense to you? Like, every Christian is going to play their pivotal part in yeah. this. Yeah. If we just start ripping each other apart, it's like, or as states, we start ripping each other apart. It's like, what has this all been for? Mm-hmm. You know, why did I put on the uniform? Why did all the millions of people we just had Memorial Day that have died, yeah. why did they put on the uniform? Yeah. We have to really like introspectively ask ourselves, like, do we want to see our country continue or do, do we want to see it fall apart, fall into civil war, go backwards in time? It's like, no. So it's like, you know, yeah. I feel I, I feel your pain for that guy out in California. I really do. Well, that, I feel it happen a lot in the Christian community. Well, what, what's, what's hard for him is that he's coming back to his home mm-hmm. here, but like in yeah. Kentucky and Missouri and Tennessee. And He's being told he's wrong. And I'm like, and it's not by other pastors. It's just by people that, you know, go to church. Yeah, I don't want to hear that sermon again. You know, I won't go. Right, right. Or they're like, hey, man, like, hey, you got to, hey, all lives matter. Or something like that. I'll put my kid in another youth group. Right. Like the way you're doing things. You hear it in different forms all the time. And it's really sad. And that's like where you're like, hey, you know he had it. He got a degree in this. But Wait, also, it's like, the, the, you get to the root of it, and it's like, you trust your God, right? Right. Your God's my God. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're worried about him, if you yeah. know he's a pastor and he's praying, 
What are you doing? Yeah. What are you going to do that the Holy Spirit can't do? Do you believe what you believe or not? That's where I get in it. And it's yeah. like, people be like, oh, you're a hippie. Or like, oh, you, you know, yeah. you, you read too much Taoist books or read too much Buddhist. And it's like, no, I read those books yeah. so I can understand my religion in a greater yeah. plan, in a greater scheme. Yeah. It's like, Jesus quoted scripture to prove he knew. Right. Jesus understood everybody. Right. We were all made in God's image. So it's like, even the people who weren't believing, he had love for. And so right. it's like, if you're a Christian and you're going to look at another Christian and be like, nah, dude, yeah. your theology doesn't line up with mine. You're bad. It's like, yeah, no, dude. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no. Putting the tinfoil hat back on, it's an election year. <laughs> yes. Do you have any opinions about, I guess, I mean, this would be the year that everything kind of goes down. And it seems, so let me just, to lay out, like, I guess if, if you're in the audience and listening right now, not only has there been a worldwide pandemic that has <clears throat> crashed economies, put millions of people out of jobs, closed down thousands of businesses. On top of that, the social fabric of our country is changing. There's a borderline race war happening right now caused by whoever. And on top of that, we've got over 30 billion locusts traveling across Africa eating crops by the millions. Yeah. And then later this year, the 17-year cicadas are going to finally awake from their deep sleep and they will be counting in the trillions. Yeah. That's literally the number of cicadas that no, are yeah, going to not. appear in the United States this year. Global warming, whatever, conspiracy, you know, what I mean, whatever. Flooding. Flooding in El Salvador. I don't even feel like this is like a conspiracy at this time. Like, what do you mean? Like, times. It's just like, we're... <laughs> well, what he's saying is... And I don't want to like hijack it, but what he's getting at, and I understand, is like you look at a year like 2009, mm-hmm. and I mentioned to this to you guys briefly earlier, but 2009, you have H1N1. Um, you're coming off the back of like one of the worst economic collapses in modern U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a newly elected um, president. black president, mm-hmm. Barack Obama. Um, you have had. You have, if you look back historically, all kinds of turmoil occur within that year. Um, advertising dollars don't compare the amount of coverage on that virus and on those mass shootings, school shootings, on those you know killings of black people, whatever it is, if you dig into 2009, they weren't nearly as amplified and as replicated. And the conspiracy mind of what Drew's talking about is like, well, now it's 2020, and it is an election year, and it's... Mr. Divisive himself, President Trump on one side, and Mr. Divisive 2.0, Joe Biden on the other. Mm-hmm. And so it's like... So are we saying you, like those conspiracy are the only two candidates? Like, well, they are, I mean, in, re- in reality, they are. I mean, yeah. Gary Johnson pulled out uh, a hell of an election last time and got, what, 3% of the popular vote? Yep. So, I mean, I'm And not, yeah. also keep in mind the 2016 election, uh, 14,000 individuals above the age of 18 decided to write in the name Harambe for president. <laughs> oh yeah, the dead gorilla. So. 14,000 citizens over the age of 18 throughout the United States all separately thought to themselves, I'm going to write in the name of a dead gorilla. Did Dude, you I'm do that? No. Oh, a, I, thought I was going to circle like, back to a sick callback joke. Yeah. It was probably a private Facebook group. 
and that's how they organized. <laughs> Fourteen thousand <laughs> yeah, United States of dollars. Yeah, hundred percent. But see, that's but <laughs> they wrote that in because they knew the only two real options they yes. had was Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. That and the, yeah. the media has done, and that's where conspiracy comes in. The media has done a beautiful job of making you think you only have two choices. That's what I'm saying. So like, like, if you don't like neither of them, why don't you look at the other guy? Okay. Um, anyone else want to head this one up? <laughs> so it just it, it doesn't like that doesn't make. I mean. But that's the point. They you want, also don't like him. Let's say, let, look, let's his say that, uh, let's say Joe Rogan threw his hat in for president. Joe Rogan has about like eight million subscribers on YouTube, and let's say that all eight million subscribers on YouTube were just loyal, and they all voted for him. Yeah, that is Nothing. two, three percent of the United States population. Yeah. Would you vote for him? Yes. Yeah. This guy would vote for Joe. Would you? Without a doubt. Huh? Without a doubt. Oh, without yeah. 100%. a doubt. 100%. Not a question. I, yes. honestly, I honestly thought the best way to win this election as an outsider would have been Tulsi Gabbard with Rogan or Andrew Yang as a running mate. I've, I've literally, I've talked to pastors who said they would vote for Joe Rogan. Yeah. Wow. He's incredible. Um, but, but that's the thing. Eight million loyal followers, like subscribers, people who enjoy him and listen to him and probably for the most part believe what he says. Yeah. That's still 3% of the nation. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. And, like, also something else is, like, I, I genuinely don't know, mm-hmm. personally. Like, how how do you, like, if you're of the age, anyone can run for, for, for president? No, you have to be of the age of 35. 35. Yeah. And you have to be a United States citizen, like, yeah. born citizen. So if you're I under, believe you have to have been an elected official in some capacity. So whether it's like governor, senator, house of representatives, I believe Trump was a real estate mogul. Oh yeah. Reagan was an actor. It is thirty five. It's thirty five. So like, in the United States for at least fourteen years. Well, neither of you are thirty five plus, but what he's saying I mean, is like, what the so, question is circling back to though about the conspiracy theory is that you would have a government or an organization of people so so against Trump being reelected that they're let's just just visualize this for me and I can run you through it but that they're willing to one push publicly to not worry about the coronavirus Mm -hmm. because that way it would eventually hit and explode and everyone would freak out and then Trump has to make a decision check in the box we've got him looking like a fool then you start getting him like he does just throwing off epic quote after epic quotes you're able to just destroy him then you have whether they were you or not someone Kill another guy, gets in the news, and, start, and then you know he's going to tweet something, to, and then you eat him alive. And you just continue oh, yeah. to ruin him to a point where even, let's just say hypothetical, you know, Joe Schmo in the Midwest is like, I just can't vote for Trump anymore. Yeah. I'm going to vote by. So, so think about it right now. So that this, is the, this is Trump's resume as of right now. Yeah. The United States economy has crashed, and it is worse than the 2008 housing market crashed that Bush was president during, right? You also have a worldwide pandemic where the media will tell you till they're blue in the face was all because of Trump and his lack of leadership in containing this deadly disease. Three, you have the social fabric of our nation completely in shambles where basically the media and whatever misinformed individual on Facebook is projecting is that we are literally 
at each other's throats according to skin color or nationality. Yeah. That is Trump's resume right now. Yeah. Something that I'm also a little confused, not confused, but wonder is like, I mean, do you think it's completely Trump's fault? Not completely, but like... I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. I'm not. That's a a, a super loaded thing to say. Sometimes I feel like, like you said, his role is to be the guy who just rides around on waves and does that. Like, I feel like maybe most of the time, the things that he says are not his own words. Like, I think people are telling him what to say. If you want me to take that and answer it the best I can, like... Yes, the answer to your question is like, you know, because the Democrats, if they get Biden in, that's all they want. Mm-hmm. They just want to have the Democratic president. Like, like, go smile and wave at people, Joe. Now we can run the show. Yeah, like, do you get what I'm saying? No, yeah, I understand. Like, Joe Biden is a representative of, and then you have all these people behind him in line just chomping at the bit to get there. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the Democrats hold the House. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could change in the election. But the Democrats hold the House. That's why they were able to push through all these impeachment things and control, like, they have the majority, like they have key components to having a very strong government. The last component is that executive branch. And that's why they've also fought so intensely with the judicial branch of who Trump wants to appoint, because they want to get that next appointee in there. So they're not even worried about the presidency. That means nothing in politics. It doesn't. It's a left-right game. It's you guys win, we win, you guys gotcha. win, you guys. Why do you think Trump was at had Hillary at his dinner right after saying all those things in the last election? It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not just believe whatever you want about politics, but it's like at the end of the day, it's a three-branch government, and the D, the Democratic Party has two of those basically yeah. under control, and in order to get that third one, they need that president to appoint that. Yeah. And that's why I don't branch. see why people get so mad at Trump. I, I, I yeah. Again, it's like, again, it's like, I can't even, I mean, because to be honest, I can't excuse some of the things he does either. Yeah, I mean, like, and just he, said, he not, said some things where it's just like, me, and I, I just want everybody to who is listening I yeah. don't know enough to be saying you're not even 18 so you can't even vote exactly right. yeah I'm just <laughs> like you wondering. are old enough to be literally prosecuted by the media just like that one kid out yeah. in Covington yeah. he's literally that kid's age yeah. I know and that's why and if he accidentally put like if he accidentally put on a MAGA hat and he just was in the wrong place at the wrong time his life would be over yeah. and that, that's what I like I saw like a kid go into a protest wearing a Trump shirt and I, I don't know if he did it Intentionally to get people angry, or he was just—I mean, most likely. But I think he was also probably just seeing how people would react to him wearing that shirt or something. But like, I don't know how to—I don't know how to put it. Like, I don't know. It's just confusing to me when I see people just like chuck stuff at people and like, "Do you hate blacks?" Like, I heard it in the video when like he was wearing that, and they were like, "Do you hate blacks?" and I feel like wearing that shirt or wearing something of that is like not screaming, I don't support you, I don't like you. Like, I, I don't agree with people who say, you don't like me because, and they're spacing that off of what he's wearing. Well, they're saying, the, the reason they say that from their perspective is because he's supporting a president that in their mind is blatant racist and. Yeah, and that's what I'm hates. asking. Like, how was, like, I, I don't know enough at all. Yeah. Like, how was he racist? I. So, uh, so you have an entire media conglomerate that is putting together all of these <laughs> different pieces of statements, videos, or speeches that he's mm-hmm. made that is basically reinforcing the narrative of saying that he is a racist president. And so if you – like, look, 
if I like this is just like a thing if I literally just kind of walked around and said Alex is a pedophile if I said that Mm -hmm. enough times around enough people it doesn't matter if it's true or not people are still going to watch you around their kids eventually that's fair like eventually so not like he has said things where it's like I I clearly like I clearly don't agree with that and I think that that's just like that's a why would you say that why would you tweet that that's a dumb thing Mm -hmm. but if you also have a big enough platform of people who are all collectively in agreement that we don't like this guy and we're going to basically point out the things that we think are wrong with him and we're going to say it enough times whoever is basically within earshot of the platform of that media conglomerate is going to eventually believe that that person is what they say that they are just like if I like whoever I'm in earshot of says Alex is a pedophile people are going to it's twice now. <laughs> yeah I was going to say we might need to chill out with that phrase <laughs> but that's what I'm saying yeah. that's literally how dangerous it is yeah. I've said it twice now yeah. and it's liter- it means nothing there's no merit to it it's not true whatsoever you can't prove it yeah but the fact that I've said it twice now, make, like, yeah. people get no, I know, to add substance to what, because it, it's so true. But the liberal left media hijacked politics mm-hmm. in roughly the 80s. You can look at Malcolm X as a precursor to it. You can look at JFK as a precursor to it. But they, they alluded to the fact that identity politics was going to be the downfall of this country. And so, like, the liberal, the furthest parts of the left party, the, the most wealthy, the most powerful, have made it a goal to get you to think about politics in one way, and that is, this is how I identify and I see the world. Does that make sense? And so, like, yeah. that feeling that you're having, no, you shouldn't have that. And that's why Trump won the last election, is because there are enough people that know, put me in a room one-on-one, in black and white, we're going to get along. We're going to love each other. We're going to want the best for each other. Enough people like that got into voting booths. They wouldn't tell their wife that they voted for Donald Trump. They wouldn't tell their best friends that they voted for Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, but they did. Yeah. Because they will not be controlled. I know handfuls of Democrats registered who vote in primaries who stand in that booth and vote Republican. Because, like, at the end of the day, the Republican Party, whether you like them or not, the GOP, they don't get down with identity politics. They want you to think freely for yourself and cast your vote whether you like or you don't like. The Democrats, that's not what they want. They want you to vote you're black, so you vote for black people. Okay. That's why you, you know. Or you vote Democrat. Yes, because we have your back, even though statistically and historically we never have. So it's like And that's, but like I'm confused, like why are they, are they scared to vote for like what they feel is right? No, they're controlled by the masses. Mob mentality, go to I'mRight.com, get your facts. I mean, Jack, imagine, seriously, imagine growing up in a very broken, disenfranchised community Mm -hmm. where, along with that, if you don't think a certain way that literally the world tells you that you ought to think because you're representing your people, and then you don't, not only does the broken, disenfranchised community that you've grown up in completely cast you out, but then the rest of the world doesn't accept you. And that, like, literally, you've got... I mean, you have a... Like, so this is is where if you have 
black skin and, and you want to vote conservative, you're put between a rock and a hard place. Because I, the, you, the, you've I'm been lost. told. I don't know what conservative is. Vote like, right, Republican. Right Republican, GOP. Like, okay. so, here's, so here's the rock and the hard place. You've got the entire black community where the media says is Democrat because the Democrats have their back, which statistically speaking is not true. Then you've got the other half, uh, or you've got the other side of the political spectrum, which is full of Caucasian Americans who the media also says hates you because of your skin. So you are now going to vote for a party that the media and so many people on platforms tells you actually hates your guts because of the color of your skin. On the other side of that, your own community rejects you because they think that you are a self-hating uh, individual who also is turning their back on that community. So now you have just fallen into the most hated, smallest demographic of all time. Yeah, and that's something that I guess I just I might not ever understand. You won't. We won't. We absolutely won't. Because I, I, I don't think. I mean, the only thing if we would ever have it's to. It's like it's almost like it could be almost as small, but not really. Like if you were a Cavs fan and I was a Warriors fan, I'm not gonna hate your guts. I'm just gonna be like. But, like, I mean, I know it's a lot bigger than that, obviously, but I'm just saying, like, I can never, like... But that's what they... Exactly what they want to do, though, if that makes yeah. sense. They like, want that's the point they're getting it, where they want everyone to feel. It's our job, especially as Christians, I feel like, to push really hard against that. Yeah. Because, like, if Jesus taught us one thing, it's like, your identity doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. Every single one of us was created with God's image. We are all God. So it's Sorry. like, to think anything except that, it's like, ident- that's why identity politics is so far from religion. It's so far from a lot of actually progressive things. Yeah. And that's why you have liberals dropping out like flies, like a Dave Rubin, like a Jordan Peterson, and being accepted by the right conservative side of things mm-hmm. because they're like, look, we might not agree with everything you say, but... We know that they've pushed you away, those black guys who've been disenfranchised to be called Uncle Toms. That's been a weaponized term for, for Democrats for years. Yeah. Imagine, Imagine being a smart, Candace Owens, a smart, yeah. successful individual who's worked her tail off to become not just popular and famous, yeah. but smart, yeah. educated. Now, does that mean she's ever not going to be wrong? No. But Candace Owens goes out into the public limelight as a previous left-leaning liberal who used to be in the media pushing... All those ideas. Right. She switches teams. She is lambasted now in communities. People, black people, Mexican, yeah. white, they call her the worst kind of things. Like all the things they're saying, racists are saying she, to them. She is, she is actually being threatened with yeah. on a daily, weekly basis yeah. at colleges and universities. And those kids who are doing it are being supported by teachers. It's like you start to really get into the meat and potatoes of like this isn't going to be like I said a short term fix. Right. This is like. You need to be raising your family. Like yeah. I'm called. Like that is what Christianity yeah, yeah. is all about. Like yeah. from the inside out, father, and mother, yeah. kids. Like that's this isn't like I, I pray to God that next week we get legislation passed. I right. pray that we do. You know, and I will always push that direction. But it's like reality sets in, and it's like this is going to be a long term 
solution. This is going to yeah. be the, if we're going to shift this country's guts from the inside out. It's like that's how we're going to do. It. Yeah. And it, but here's the thing about that too, though, is that it, you know that that particular issue in itself is obviously something that we need to address. But what what is amazing is that I am fully anticipating another cataclysmic event to happen that could be related to that or not related to it at all. I mean, yesterday what's was going on this year. Yesterday was the halfway mark of 2020. Right. We yes, still have a whole other half crazy. of this year to go, but it is an election year, and that is where the tinfoil hat comes on because I'm like, how many things have happened this year that have been from so many exactly. different angles that honestly just make me think, like, like, what is going on? You know, this is one of those things where, like, like you see animals like start running like through the woods, or like like a dog like going under the porch or something because they have that sixth sense that inclement weather is incoming. That that's what it feels like right now. Like all all of like the real particular like moral argument stuff aside, like just looking at like the state of the world right now. That is what's like really troubling for me is that, is that I'm I'm fully anticipating something at like either this continues for weeks to come or there's going to be another thing that happens that that basically sparks a, a big catalyst event and then that also makes me ask the question why because three innocent black people killed in a row over the last two weeks like I know that people are saying racism isn't getting worse it's getting recorded and I believe that I certainly believe that but what have we been talking about for the first half of this year or for the last two to three months? It's been about a pandemic. It's been about going inside, staying indoors, doing the right thing. All of a sudden now, it went from a disease was all you ever heard about, all you ever talked about, to now we are talking about police brutality. We've completely forgotten about this pandemic that is killing uh, however many thousands of people that have spread all over the nation. Who cares about that? Protest in the street. Collect by the thousands. That's all out the window this time. Why did that happen? Why now? And what's coming next, like you said. Right. Yeah. You know, conspiracy starts to be like, you know, we got we got five months until the election's even cast. So yeah. And I don't I just I but that's the thing is like I really that that's how can I express my opinion in an intellectual way without getting completely written off by like saying, hey, this this whole thing is just my my red flags are flying up all over the place that this this isn't just well, a bunch of things that happened. I hate to say it in the in the words of like P. Diddy, but vote or die. Like right, we talked about right. this right before we started, like People never even knew who their mayors were, who their governors were, who their state senators and representatives were. Right. It's like, if anything that's backfired through this conspiracy, it's like, people now know. People are now aware. Oh, crap. My city votes historically Democrat. Look at all these horrible yeah. things we've done the last 30 years. Right. I'm going to vote in November. I'm going to pay attention to who I'm electing. That is like short term. You want to have, you're not 18, but if you guys want to have... Use your platform on Instagram mm-hmm. to spread the word. Yeah. Use your Facebook to spread the word. Hey, the, I'm not telling you my opinions, but these are the facts about this candidate that lives around us that's running. Yeah. Maybe they are superior to the ideas of the guy who's been the incumbent for 30 years. Right, right. You know, 
maybe the Kennedys, you know, the lifelong people that are in these political positions, it's like, maybe it's time for them to be replaced. Right. If things haven't changed since the 60s till now, in yeah. a real in a real sense, yeah. for African Americans, then that is the way we affect it. Right. You know, or... Like that, a voter like that's that's what I would take it down to. Like, if you want to have a short term effect this year, survive the storm, right. <laughs> survive whatever's coming. Yeah, stay smart, stay humble, pray. But like, dude, vote in November and spread the word before you cast that vote. But I think that that's the way you got to do it. You got to know who you're voting for. Yeah. Another question, like another thing that I've thought about is like, what do you? I'm not like completely. I obviously I know their goal is to completely get rid of racism, which is a, obviously I completely agree with that goal. But like, what I want to know is like, how are they like want a new law put in place or something? What law would we like? I'm I'm trying to think like what law would we put in? Well, to make it simple enough, we've got to sharpen up basically law enforcement officers. We've got to sharpen up that that yeah. that you know hiring system the training system to break it down a little bit easier let's literally let's take the George Floyd situation you've done combatives I do jiu-jitsu we know how to put somebody in a position of control and to keep them there without compromising their life and what that was with that officer in George Floyd was a horrifically heinous way not even it, it wasn't even a way to do it. It was, it, it's murder. What he did was murder. And if he tries to make the case that he was trying to control this man, we both know that that is an insane lie. Mm-hmm. Because the way that he either genuinely believes that or he's a liar. So he's either an idiot or he is a liar. Because you don't do that. And if that if he is an idiot. Then it's because of the system that trains him. No, yeah. Right? But, like, what if he just, like, do you think the, I guess, police academy or something does teach them to do that? No. No. So, no. like, how do you no. fix it? No. So, what That's he what did I'm asking. Was, Longer so training, more yeah. psychology evaluations, more deeper background checks. I think, yeah. like, I, I've heard about this reference, but just... Taking the academy and stretching it to a year long, so you really get to see somebody at their character. Oh, and truly evaluating them. Yeah, and also yeah. this man had over eighteen, uh, and that that I thought was this ridiculous. Man. And I hate yeah. to keep referencing things we talked about before, but like right before this, I said to you guys, and I believe this, but like I love police, and like yeah. I serve in the military, so like don't let this come off the wrong way. But if I and any of the listeners sit back and think about all the people we've known in our lives. Let's just be honest about the fact that not always the very best of us become police officers. Yeah. I'm willing to admit that because if I can go off of the people that I've known and even some of the officers I've run into in my life, like, you just, there needs to be a higher requirement. Increase the pay so that somebody who wants to be viable in the economy can also be a cop. Yeah. Increase what they do for your families. Maybe the maybe they include, like, the military BAH to help pay for your rent and food each month. Like, Maybe we reallocate some of our resources to make that an attractive occupation versus, like, let's just be honest, it's a $35,000 a year crap-paying, very dangerous job. 
Yeah. It's like, who's going to be willing to take that? Yeah. A lot of times it's the rowdy boys, and we all know exactly who I'm talking about when I say that. Right. Yeah. And so that's why you end up with bad cops. Yeah. Like, not, and that's just, that is, that is me being at the table. Call of Duty yeah. in real life. That, yes. That's yeah. me being at the yeah. table, being as honest as I can. Right. And so now it's the job of the other side of the table to come and be as honest as they can. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what's going to happen here is like, we're, we're going to have to concede things and be honest right. about it, about what's going on. No, I think another way to help it big time, long term, again, solutions to this is like, it's not always going to just be about the police force too. It's like Kevin Hart just had a beautiful podcast with Rogan where he talked about his initiative with J.P. Morgan Chase is he's going out in the communities teaching young men how to open a bank account. Mm-hmm. Your mom taught you how to do that, right? There's a, I'm just saying, there's a lot of, or Not your yet. mom did it for you, but she'll right. eventually yeah. one day she'll teach you. you. Yeah. Yeah. There are there are gentlemen in the black community <laughs> that reach their 30s before they open their yeah. first bank account. They go to check casting stations. They don't know how to get a loan. I was 23 when I required this loan for the business. I had people in my life willing to teach me and guide me and show me. You have an entire community, and not an entire community, but you have an, an entire community purposely being deceived to the point of like, don't worry about that stuff. Right. The Democrats being like, just show up and get your welfare. Right. Just show up. We got you. We pushed the laws. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. Yeah. It's yeah. keeping them crippled. If you if you make a generation, what was this country built on? Entrepreneurs. Right. Period, point blank and simple. People who are willing to go out, sacrifice, make a business, make a brand. You know, the Rockefellers of our, of our world, the Carnegies of our world. But they were entrepreneurs. Plain and simple, that's why America is the greatest country in the world. Right. So it's like, you need to empower black entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You need to cap the cops, pull them back a little bit, and put some, you know, some laws in that are financially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, you got to look at the other side of things. You need to go into these communities, and you need to truly be teaching yeah. and helping out. Not just saying, or not just acquiring programs or dollars, yeah. but empowering. Like, the most empowering thing that ever happened to me was, I got that. Mm-hmm. And then it put me, I had skin in the game, I had risk, I had collateral. Yeah. You bought this equipment and you've now you know, stepped out and doing Triune. It's like you've right. put your neck on the line. Right. You're willing to work harder. Yeah. You're willing to go further. Yeah. Allow those same opportunities to those young men. Mm-hmm. It's like, I believe in humanity. Yeah. I believe those young men will grow up to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They won't fear cops. They will, they will lead with respect. They will lead with love. Like The Holy Spirit that we believe in will take over and transform. Right. But it's like, we can't just keep ignoring the problem. Yeah. We can't just keep waiting for the next media cycle. Yeah. And then also, you can tell me your opinion on this too, but as far as legislation goes, I'm going to need a real convincing argument of why we need to keep citizens' arrests a thing. Nobody's making a citizen's arrest on me. I will laugh in your face, and then I will do what I have to to not be arrested by you. Because I don't believe you. Like, if you don't have a uniform on, and then if you pull a gun on me, well, I mean, it's it. I'm not going to do things that you want to do. That's it. I'm thinking about myself and my life, and I'm getting home. So if you really think that, like, exercising this law of citizen's arrest is really going to be the difference maker, we, we got to revisit that whole thing because that, that, to me, is like, you're not doing that to me. And, and a lot of the people that are willing to make those citizen's arrests are people who are unfit to even be accepted by police academies. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. No a doubt. lot of times. And that's like, if you, if you look into the, the, the facts of those types of findings, it's like, it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. The amount of people that think they're going to have this vigilante effect in the world, 
yeah. when in reality they cause pain, death, and destruction. Like you know, it's like they're they're doing exactly the opposite of what they want to be doing. Yeah. yeah. Here's the mugshot of the four cops that murdered. Good. Wow. So what are they? Uh, here's what's here's what's second interesting. Second degree murder, and the other or what, first. The aiding and abetting. Here's what's interesting. The guy in the bottom right corner. Mm-hmm. What is he? Can we, looks I mean, like he's not of white descent. Yeah, he looks. He looks black. The guy in the top right corner looks Asian. Um, I yeah. The guy in the top left corner looks creepy. And this is why you <laughs> have to circle back. This is why you have. Yeah, it's terrifying. You have such. If you look from 2007 when Obama was being portrayed as the change and he got that huge overwhelming popular vote, the highest voter turnout in African American history. You had all these records being broken and then he failed. You had a lot and I'm just saying that objectively. Right. I voted for Obama. Boom. Surprise. But I did the second time. I wasn't old enough. Yeah. But here's what I'm saying. When he failed objectively, you had a lot of people within those communities that we're referencing make the decision, I'm gonna start really digging into this. And then they ended up conservatives. Mm-hmm. And then they're like we talked about it and, and brought up. It's like that is they're seeing through that. What right. we're just looking at. Right. They're looking at the identity politics and being like, no, 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 no. This yes, it's sad, a black man died. Right. You know, but they're able to look at the equation and sit at the table and have a conversation. It's like right. you have to have more of that. Like yeah. you yeah. can't you can't exclude the fact that, that there was an Asian police officer, that there was another officer involved, like, and just be like, this is white cops killing. Because right. that's not what it is. Right. Well, it was the white cop that has neo Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. But, but it's like, uh, it's just like what you said earlier, too. Um, you've got, you've got a, you've got a shooting or something in a neighborhood. If you're in the car with that shooter, well, you're going down, too. Yeah. You're an accomplice. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just like what those guys... That's how they ended up in the situation because they didn't have their knee on his neck, but they were holding him down. And I, this conspiracy here, conspiracy theorist had whatever we're talking about. But I had heard, and I don't know if this is true, and I'll look further into it. But I think it begs the question. I had heard that the the officer who physically put his knee to the neck of George Floyd had known George and they were working part-time as bouncers in the officer's off-time and in George's off-time I heard at that a too. bar for 17 years. So I heard you that. and I have a 17-year-long relationship and I'm not willing to hear you out. <laughs> all, yeah, of sudden, all of a sudden, I'm an It even starts to look like when you watch that video, like he is doing something he doesn't want to be doing. Like you said, to go back to the training question, that he is doing something that goes against his training. Right. You see the face of a man defeated. You see the face of a man. He's not enjoying what he's doing. He's not raising his voice. Yeah. He's simply kneeling. And so it's like, that's where my, like, I get scared on the inside. It's like, how deep does this go? Right. Was this one man acting independently, individually? Or was this... Yeah. No, that, yes, this seriously. orchestrated was this a man who worked with a man for 17 years could you imagine being George in that scenario maybe they wanted his windpipe pushed on so that he couldn't speak because right. he was going to say hey yeah, I've known you 17 years bro right. what are you doing to me Right. he was going to ruin the whole so like, that's where it gets to me almost to the point where that's why I said like, I'm going to recuse myself in this conversation and that's, that's also what's difficult too is because it's almost too blatant to be true. Like yeah. you look at you watch the video and for eight minutes and twenty-three seconds, 
you're in pure disbelief yeah. that that's happening because you have the one guy standing up in front keeping everyone at bay and everybody is saying can you do like look we're everybody's okay just just check on him yeah he's like he's not doing anything just check on him yeah touch, like touch his neck check his pulse and, and they're just like just stay back just ignoring everything you're in yeah. disbelief the entire time you're like I can't actually believe what I just saw. Okay, and I'll, I'll reference this. I was in the United States military, yeah. ready, trained on CLS, combat, combative life-saving. Basically, is what it is. It's right. Like you're trained to be a combat lifesaver. All cops go through that same thing too. So they're not like certified EMTs, mm-hmm. but they know how to, like you're saying, check a pulse. Right. Your job is to protect and serve. So your job is to keep people alive. Right. And it's like, it's the same thing as the rules of engagement in the first place that get brought up all the time. Right. In order for us to pull a trigger overseas, five, six, seven rules and laws have to be broken mm-hmm. before we can even engage. If, yeah. we can, if we see a vehicle coming at us with weapons pointed, we can't fire until the first shot's fired. You can't fire until you hear a whiz. Like, so they yeah. can physically drive as close as they can to you. Blow up an, a VIED, a vehicle-borne ID, as the first vehicle, and then br- and still you're gonna, you're gonna just now be engaging. Right. So you're telling me that honor, like that's where that's where you lose me. Yeah, like that is where you lose me. I can't sure. even look at that guy and be like, like I said, like believe that's an individual making independent choice. Right. My conspiracy goes to that's an individual being forced into making that decision. Right. That is an individual who's maybe his family's been taken, maybe money, maybe yeah. he's been compromised. However they do it, and by they, I don't know, but it's just like, when you hear about a guy knowing a guy 17 years, Mm -hmm. or you see the videos of these guys being provocateurs, it's like, you can't help it. Yeah. Like, as you get older, you get a little more jaded, and it's like, I know what goes into that training. Mm -hmm. There's no way that he would have ever made that choice. I mean, unless he could play unless he kills somebody. Right. But yeah. to me, the like Ockham's no razor, it's like, what's the simpler of these two exactly. solutions? Yeah. I don't run into racism like that as often. I definitely run into power. And what's crazy I is- I run into power daily. That cop doesn't look like a moron either. He knows he's on, he knows he's being recorded. Yeah. Yeah. And they know they've got a compromised officer. Oh, you've been an idiot? Yeah. You've got 18 filed complaints. It's like we've got you. We've got you. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like it gets to this hairy, weird place where it's like now I see where where some of these communities are coming from mm-hmm. in a in a more robust way because they're like, look, we were there doing the right thing, saying please, like yeah. officer. Yeah. We're good. We're not gonna touch. But please, just check on him. Yeah. Trust me when I tell you if I was in that crowd as as a I would have drop kicked that cop. I would have drop kicked or pulled yeah. my nineteen eleven out and put it to the head of that police right. officer. I would have yeah. been willing to face the charges to save that guy's life. I would have yeah. used my white privilege to risk used, it all. You know exactly, what I mean? but they're not even willing to go there because they know as soon as they turn and open yeah. their hands up, it's going to be blah 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 yeah. blah. No questions asked. Well, you saw him take a step forward, and the guy like yeah. immediately reached for his it's, holster. That that's where it's me. It's like we have to step back in this conversation and be like, look. I can't even imagine. Because if we four were standing around right now and a Sanibel police officer had his knee to my neck, yeah. and the three of you asked police to step in, he doesn't look good. To ride or die. Dude, they would have thrown, they would have put me in an ambulance, rushed me over, yeah. done everything to save my life. Not because yeah. they know me in the community, but just because that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. You get what I mean? But like, I, also talk to the, I also talk to the cops that like I do jiu-jitsu with, yeah. and they're, I mean, they're baffled. Yeah. Like, they're like, this is... But you, 
it's a what he did was so purely against his training and code of ethics and just simply what his job is that it's it's evil like what he did was evil but then you need to know why and it's like it like oh yeah is he just that racist enough to where he's like okay I am going to kill this man that I've known for 17 years on camera in front of a bunch of people next to four other cops yeah, who are all in compliance with what I'm doing. What? Yeah. How many cops has to be there for one cop to say, take your knee off his neck? Yeah. Yeah. It's five on one. We've got him. It's in seven yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but well, I mean, I guess I... Do you think his court case would be like televised? No, he's already been possible? convicted. Yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah, it's a, I mean, oh His wife like publicly divorced him and everything and all this, and yeah. you're just you're, like you. That's what I mean. You got like we as people need to dig into the why right. of life, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I feel, I feel why like for a long time we didn't yeah. weren't able to ask the question why we were surviving World War One, we're surviving World War Two, mm-hmm. Vietnam. It's like we've had a lot go on. It's like our parents have given us this life. Our generation is a lot more introspective. Right. We're healing traumas, generational wounds, you yeah. know, whatever you want to call it. It's like now is the time. Like the bell has been rung. Are you going to answer? I, are I, you? Yeah. And truly, I feel personally like the. I guess we can just label it the enemy right now. I feel like it. The enemy is showing its teeth mm-hmm. more and more, and it can't help it because. There are a lot of things that are being proactive in the direction of standing up for your faith and trying to do the right thing and pushing towards a better life and a better education for people all over. We're, we're reaching further and further corners. We have the technology to do it. We're able to do that. So now the enemy is like, we've got to show our teeth a little bit here. We've got to make things move a little bit more in the daylight than we want to. Mm-hmm. And that's, again... That's that's the hard part as as somebody who is the leader of a group of people as like a government official or the the a pastor of a congregation. You you would just lose all credibility at this point right now. Like you will look like a fool if you say, "Hey, look, I really think that a lot of these things are happening that are completely separate areas are still not the coincidence that are happening." At a string of this time. One of the best podcasts I listened to recently was Mike Tyson and Francis Ngannou. And surprisingly enough, it was one of the most, like, philosophical, deep, like, better listens. So I recommend I'm going to have like, to give all you guys get sure. But Mike Tyson talks about this so poetically because of the life he's lived. But, like, the closer... So, like, with all that we've talked about and how far we've gone and all this stuff, it's like, life is also better than ever been mm-hmm. and like objectively is what I'm saying when I say right. that like even for black people in America like even for you know Asians you know who might originate from China like living in the United States right now like with all like but we have phones we have food like mm-hmm. energy is in great supply like yes the economy's down but like you can go get a job like the world objectively right now this is the best time yeah. there are less slaves than ever before there's less homicides, murders, murder right. before. It's like all these objective statistical things that make it that way. So it's like the better that God's doing in the race, 
mm-hmm. closer behind Satan is. Like, right. And I believe that with my whole heart. And what Mike Tyson said is like, the man that gets closer to God gets closer to Satan at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's like the deeper you are in your faith, and this happens to me a lot, like as these blessings and convictions happen to me, I also can sometimes look in the mirror and catch myself and be like, damn, I'm looking at some, do you get what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Like yeah. I will question myself and be like, is this Satan guiding me to make this decision or is right. this God guiding me? Because I, 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 when we talked about this in the car the other day, everything to me is spiritual warfare. Right. Everything yeah. in all scenarios. Yeah. So that might be taking it to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do believe there's more room for these types of conversations where it's like an enemy. It's, it's, like, like, the it's, like, the, it's, it's like the better of a warrior you become for God, the more the enemy pays attention yeah. to you. Yes. I mean, it would make sense for the devil to target the stronger Christians, the one who are trying to spread the word, like to tempt them more. Which and not sense. even step outside of Christianity. The devil doesn't care. The devil doesn't want anyone to worship any God for any reason. Right. The devil wants death, destruction. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So like, even if you're a Muslim doing outstanding things in your community and building it from the inside out, or a Hindu, mm-hmm. it's like the devil is attacking right now yeah. Yeah. in every form and fashion. I, believe, I, like, I love that visual of like he's showing his teeth right now. It's like, because like you said, and I believe this, it will get worse before it gets better. Now, I don't mean that in the race terms or in the disease terms, but I just mean the world itself. Yeah. Revelation tells us that. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's like, this might not be revelations that we're living out right now. Right. It could progressively get worse until then, but it's also going to get better because God is still alive. Yeah. He's still fighting. He's still going to win. And so it's like, yeah. that's the weird juxtaposition you find yourself in as the Christian. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I know how the story ends. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how we get there. Then you don't even know if you're going to be alive to see it. Yeah. 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 In whatever form or fashion that comes. And then, John, I don't know why. I don't know. It, sh- it shouldn't scare me. But, like, at the same time, like, it would almost suck if he... Ah, oh, no. Never mind. I mean, I don't know. I have thought so much about, like, my future life, like, what I want to do. And it wouldn't suck if he came right now because, obviously, I'd be going to a way better place. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You uh, you probably you want to get married, have a family. Yeah. Like I want to experience world, all of that. Yeah. 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 But yeah. At the same but time. also it's happened. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but like you literally like it, everything. You know. Yeah. It'd be like you don't have to play this hard game. You anymore. know what? You know. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's disturbing the way that I, the way that my instincts tell me that like we are looking at more than just a series of events yeah. happening. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think they felt when the flood happened? Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. How do you think Moses then felt being persecuted? Like, their life sucked. Yeah. Man. Yeah. It was awful. You know, and that's what we're going through. It's like, it's hard for us to have the hindsight because we're in it right now. Sure. But it's like, dude, this has been going on for thousands of years. Just mm-hmm. trust God. Like, right. weather the storm. Like, yeah. he wins. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's just how do I play my part in that? You know, how do I... Because even like you said, you become a pastor. It's like you still get questioned. It's like, so what what is Jack going to do Like as he gets older like to make this problem better? I don't know. Yeah. And something that, like, and I know it's back to where, kind of where we started, but not really. Um, Do you, like, is it a thing for cops that they have to have a certain amount of... Not arrest, but like something like. Oh, you have a quota. Yeah. It, no, it's been disproven. It's not a lot of the fun. Ticket quota, though. It, I mean, it can be depending on the county and precinct, but oh, okay. not arrest. 
Yeah, not a res. Well, ticket, yeah. ticket quota, yeah, but even that bends with different right. economies. Okay, yeah, because I, I was going to say, if, like, if that was a real thing, I think that's so stupid. But. So, like, I, I know, for instance, like, we bring in enough, like, toll and parking revenue out here on Sanibel that, like, our police officers aren't made to hold a quota. Okay. So if you get in, like, small-town USA, Midwest, and they don't have a big draw, a big attraction, like, yeah, you can find precincts where cops are told, like, hey, we got to hit 10, 10 tickets each this month because mm-hmm. that's how we're making our money. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, it's, like, like larger like, economies like, and larger cities, like, no. Trust me, they're not sitting officers down being like, hey, you guys got a ticket or arrest some people today. Yeah. Now, you can really get into some hairy conversations when you talk about privatized prisons. Right. And why people are arrested Who's on privatized the, prisons. Like, prisons in the United States are privately owned. It's one of the three actually best There's ways. Privately owned prisons? Exclusively almost. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. So it's the, one of the three most profitable things in the United States, the first being the military, the second being pharmaceuticals, and the third being privatized prisons. But what do you, like, how are they? I'm so glad you brought that up after yeah. you talk about this. Yeah. I have one thing to ask okay. you. So you but have, what do you mean, like, like I could own a prison? Or? Yes. So like you... But how do I get to be like, you're coming to my prison? Well, you would work stuff out with states and like huh. counties and, and, and in that way are you going to be a federal prisoner, you're going to be a county jail or whatever, but you would basically buy the land, put the money up, build the building. But then for each inmate you have, each life or each whatever, they are an invoice, so to speak, that you get to write to the government. So you get to say, this guy cost me $33,000 to keep alive, I got to have this much medication and insurance on him, I got to provide this much cold air, I got to provide this much water, here's my bill and you send it to the United States government, the United States government writes you a check. So, but they're not making any money, they're just... But they both are. And so you get, what happens here is, you get... Do they get paid a little extra above... You get people wow. getting arrested, keeping quotas high, and then you get those privatized prisons getting money, and then they're taking that money and putting it into a political party or putting it into. And so that's you have crazy to me. Yeah. I don't think that's. I don't think oh, that's trust a good me, idea. you can get into hours and hours and yeah. hours of documentaries like, and films that they're yeah. happy when more people. Why do you think marijuana is still illegal in the United States? Illegal? Yeah. On a Probably level. for that reason. Yeah. No, it is. Sixty yeah. percent of people who sit in prison right now are there for. Possession yeah. Charges. yeah. So, uh, so to kind of like segue a little bit from privatized prisons to what you just said, the most profitable things, military, mm-hmm. the military industrial complex, which is just a di- giant rabbit hole all on its own. This stood out to me today, and I just wanted to know if you had any personal opinions. Former Secretary of Defense James Mattis denounces President Trump, describes him as a threat to the Constitution. Do you, I mean, as a former army person, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, he's known as the mad dog. He's a Marine. He's as bad as they come. Yeah. I mean, he's an absolute warrior. Um, This is where, again, you get into those conversations where it's like, I don't know what I don't know. Right. Um, do I think there are powers at play that really don't like Trump because he's a wild card? Yes. Yeah. Do I think the institutions in the country like predictability? Yes. Do I think economies like predictability? Yes. It's like you get into a really weird gray matter where three years ago when Trump served his political purposes, Mattis was his biggest fan, wanted him to get elected, supported him publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, now that maybe he sees an end to Trump's tunnel, yeah. is he opening up other doors? Is he looking out for his own 
know, job in the future, like you really start to look into, you gotta ask those types of questions. I don't, I don't think it's anything new to know Trump's a threat to the Constitution, but I don't know if that's always in a negative light. I think yeah. Trump's a threat to the Constitution positively, yeah. because I think some people have taken that Constitution and manipulated it into disgusting, right. incestual, yeah. terrible ways, yeah. aka the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives. And right. The ungodly amount of money they get paid for the amount of work that they do, and yeah. how many vacations you pay for, private, you know. So you get into yeah. a weird area of like, um, I'll tell. I've never really taken much Mattis has said with yeah. much validity. I never have. Um, do I respect what he's done? Your guys' grandfather's a general, and you we're sitting at this table because of how much respect I have for generals. I think you know that if I think if he. Deserve respect he'd have it from me, but I just don't think he does. I think yeah. he's done enough things in his career to make you question why he does what he does. I mean, he's a career military politician. Yeah, that's be my best answer. Just that one video where I saw where somebody was interviewing him. He's like, "Is there anything that keeps you awake at night?" And he's like, "Nothing keeps me awake at night. I keep other people awake at night." Yeah. And it, he said that so quickly. And it's the truth. I mean, yeah. he is an absolute terror. Yeah. When you know, when you're in another part of the world and you that he's coming, or in the past, who's coming to be the commander of that area. You know, he's known for and done some things in his career that, like I said, like it put it calls into question, does he deserve my respect? I didn't always respect everyone just because they wore a uniform. Yeah. You know, I respect people on an individual level. So it's like, I just, I think it's convenient timing. I think a lot of people are going to take shots at Trump right now. Yeah. I think it's a popular thing to do. Hmm. I think if you put me in a six-month tunnel and ask me who's the president as of December this year, I say Trump. Though. I really think. I think, ironically enough, like I talked about with people going into the booth and voting off of their own truth, yeah. not the rest of the world. I think he wins in the largest popular vote win of all time. Wow. I really believe that. I think he gets over sixty-one percent. Also, we can't forget too that just the other option is yeah, someone that's what who I mean. is deteriorating by the second. Yeah. Is that really the record? Over sixty-one percent. Yeah, I think the highest popular vote even was collected was fifty-nine or sixty percent. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it'd be more. For I think. I mean, we could dig and find it, but yeah, it's somewhere in that neighborhood. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's like I just I've had conversations with people who are. This is like. To circle back to the hundred people in a room, right. I got ten. It's like the ten who are really controlling the narrative on a on a media scale. Mm-hmm. I think we know which way they vote. Right. So it's like it's gonna feel just like Hillary. It's gonna feel like man, she's gonna win in a landslide. Right. But then when Trump won, everyone was kind of looking around at each other like, so you how did that happen? Yeah. Like so even they, like the, the you have Hillary stickers in your yard, but did you vote for Trump? Right. You know, and those conversations were happening, and I think even more so, you know, it amplified this time around. Yeah. The way I, I think it's going to feel going into it like, man, he's going to lose. He's going to look like a fool. It's not my hope. I mean, honestly, like, I, if I don't even know who I'm going to vote for, I go right. off of how I feel one day at a time. You guys know how I am. But yeah. It's like. I just, that's just what I see happening. I really genuinely, I think this dude is an absolute warrior. I've said it for the most part, just to explain it, I'm like, dude, would I rather get stabbed with a screwdriver or smacked with a hammer? Like, that's what it feels like right yeah. now, you know? Yeah. But, it, I mean, it is just like, it, what what is difficult is that I don't know what to say to people and 
we won't have to dive into this like super deep, but I don't know what to say to people when when they can genuinely look me in the eye and say somebody with the health conditions that Joe Biden has makes more sense. It well, and just the fact that you push for all these progressive issues, right? And we love stats in this country. Yeah, we love saying LeBron's not better than Jordan. Why? Because of his track record, right? right. Six right. and zero versus three and six. Right. It's like you take that same theory and apply it to President Joe Biden. Pre- you know, President wannabe Joe Biden. It's mm-hmm. like, how does his track record add up? Oh yeah. wait, he voted no for this. Oh wait, he voted for this bill that put more blacks into jail. Right. He was in Hillary's camp. Like, he, he, yes. Like there are so many things we can look backwards, but no, we'll ignore all that because he's going to be our candidate. And then not to mention even the most previous thing where he said, you know, if you don't vote for me, you're not black, basically. And to be honest, all the kudos in the world to Charlemagne. Seriously, because if I was him on that interview, I you I you what? Yeah. What did you just say? I would have gone off the cuff, but he handled himself. I know what he said off camera. We all know Charlemagne. Yeah. But I mean, it's like. That is exactly the crux of the problem. It's like the Democrats are telling you, here's the problem, but we're just going to throw the same white stick figure out there. We tried with the lady last time, didn't work. We'll try with the guy this time. That's what I mean about when I said divisive mm-hmm. and divisive 2.0. It's like yeah. the Democrats just looked at the Republicans and were like, oh, so that's how you went? We'll just let Biden be crazy and off the cuff and say things. Hey, Joe, go say crazy stuff out there. But he is actually saying... No, I know. It's like... Yeah. Monkey see, monkey do. It's like they don't... The Democrats don't realize they're always a step behind. Right. Who pushed for the the abolition of slavery? The Republican Party. Right. Like, who pushed for women's rights? The Republican Party. Yeah. It's like when you really look at the history of it all, it's like that is why you get Candace Owens. That is why you get... Yeah. People of those communities willing to step out and be like, hey guys, just look at the facts. Yeah. Like, just simply look at history and get a little bit of an understanding and free yourself from mm-hmm. the oppression of vote by your identity. Yeah. Like, if you really want to free yourself as an individual, you have to know your history. Yeah. Like, and that's why I get confused sometimes because I feel like sometimes our top two candidates could be some of the 10 out of the 100 you know what I mean oh yeah. for sure yeah, yeah. I think and that's why I don't nine. understand like I feel like is there just not many people running like again circle back to like the cop issue but it's yeah. like Alex you just graduated college it's like if someone was like do you want to go be president and get treated like Trump and do all the like no yeah that is yeah. no at this point you have that's to have fair. a real you have to have a real complex about yourself to say oh I want to do that yeah yeah, you almost have to be like an ego maniac, megalomaniac, like borderline, maybe even schizophrenic. Yeah. Like you have like think about the fact like like you referred it to fatherhood and that was beautiful, but it's mm-hmm. like imagine wanting to be the father to three hundred fifty million people. Yeah, like you gotta have a complex to be yeah. like that. Like love love Trump for being able to handle it, I guess. It has to be attractive but, to you that you will be the most hated person on the planet. Yeah. I mean, it is hard. I mean, it's got to be one of the hardest jobs in the world because you have to try your hardest to satisfy everyone, which is not even nearly that. impossible. Not even that. The people that you work with are trying to make you fail. Yeah. yeah. That's that's another thing. You have to do the right thing, and everyone's going to keep you from trying to do yeah, it. I think objectively speaking, like all of us could sit in a room with a Barack Obama and get along with him. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like regardless of politics. 
but just looking at a guy like that who goes from like youthful and exuberant to just being completely worn out eight years later to I mean, like just, lose it like yeah. just hair turning gray and everything and to go from the fervor that he had and what he wanted and he's still going to do amazing things but I mean you just see the candle kind of burn out and that's why I think the, amount of, the amount of supplements that I'd have to be on to do that job <laughs> that's why like yeah you look at these guys doing it at the end of their careers I think it's because it's like a ride off into the sunset scenario kind of thing it's like and I don't know if that even needs to be a thing uh, 70s I think you're out of touch. Yeah. In all in all honesty, uh, that's how we change it. Paul was a general for the last two years of his career. He was still like he still had to retire at a certain point, and it was like not because of anything major. It was like, hey, it's time. Yeah. You served your country really well. You served your country 35 years. You became a breeder. Our, gov- our government says as a whole, when you turn 65, you stop working. Right. <laughs> right. But then our president's going to be 73 years old. Right. Well, our government is literally going to tell you, go on Medicaid. Or stop working. Or potential president will be 78 years old. <laughs> what are you collecting on Social Security at 78? 100% of your benefits? Yeah. <laughs> You shouldn't even be working. You no, be. I agree. And yeah. we listen to a guy who loves to say that it's a popularity contest. And if you're still that much of a psychopath to be working that hard at that age, do it in the private sector. Yeah. In all honesty. Yeah. If, you, if you're like, I think I could do some good, do it in the private sector because you'll have a better job it. doing it there. Yeah. But hold on just a second. <laughs> Let me check this real quick. Yeah, this is going long. Joey, we've been talking for two, two hours, hours straight. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Um, this has been just a heck of a ride, and I love talking about this. Do we? I want you guys to have a chance. Do we have any closing remarks before we hop on? Uh, only one, and I really hope I just did not notice this. Now this is completely off topic. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's on mute, does it? No, no, it's on. Perfect. Yeah. Gotcha. Thanks for being here, Jack. I just now realized that, and I was like, "Holy cow! We've been on mute this whole time." I, I would throw up. Yeah, I'd be I like, "Well, there's that sucks," but <laughs> I, like, I saw well, the red light on below mute, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah. We didn't, but no, that's fine. That's all. You got any closing remarks? I don't. No, that's good. Cool. Joey, you have any closing remarks? Anything you want the audience to know about what's going on in your life or what do you want them to know about this patch of paradise down here? Um, no, I mean, yes, but no. It's like, I would... Yeah, I'm just... I'm grateful for, one, the relationships we developed, two, grateful, you know, God brought you guys into my life, your grandfather and all that stuff, but it's like... Yeah, no, I would... I would personally challenge every person who's listened to this if you've made it this far, but just do your best to reevaluate, to reflect, to regardless of if you're a believer or not believer, if you have faith or you don't, like objectively look at yourself in the mirror in the beginning of the day and realize that the only problems you're gonna have that day are because of you. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get over that fact then try it again tomorrow. Like just objectively make yourself a better person one day at a time. Like that's not just my belief, like I think it should be everybody's belief. Yeah. Like yeah. Rogan says all the time, like you are writing your own story. Like yeah. go and do more of that. Yeah. Stop commenting about what Drew's doing. Mm-hmm. Stop worrying about what Jack's doing. It's like none of that brings out anything good. Yeah. And it's like 
again. Like just we need to, as a as a Christian community, adopt more of a servant heartedness yeah. for the world around us right now. Yeah, I mean, me personally, it's like I'm gonna keep digging into that. I mean, from when we had our last podcast till now, it's like I believe I've grown and matured as a person. I hope to continue to do the same thing between the. You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Like just keep every day, like digging, figuring, make yourself better. It's like. Yeah, if you hear this and listen to this and you know of things that we can be doing, like we pose the question, it's like reach out to Drew, reach out to me, reach out to Alex, Jack, like yeah. tell us, um, you know, share with us that information, you know, don't hold it and mm-hmm. let's make let's make the world a better place because we're choosing to do it, not because it's just going to happen. Yes. Yeah. God's got that plan written. You know, yeah. Let's be proactive about it. Bro, this was fun. I'm going to have to have you on again in September. You know what I mean? And uh, we'll make it happen. But uh, <laughs> people, if y'all made it this far, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.